What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pet Peeves Podcast, episode number 23. Uh, this episode, we have my friend, my <laughs> my friend from a while. I've known him for her. a while here in Hollywood and LA, uh, Mr. Cena Edmondson. How's hey, it going, Cena? Good, buddy. How you doing? Great, man. Welcome. Thank Thanks. you for coming. I really appreciate it. I know it's not easy for people to just drive out to record the oh, podcast randomly. I followed the the airplanes and came. Hey, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's what I tell people. You listen to my podcast, you're going to see how close I live to the airport because you yeah. just hear... It felt like a uh, Wayne's World thing. Like I was like just like parking and planes were flying right, right over my head. Yeah, it's it crazy. Cool. And at first, uh, my wife and I were just like amazed. All and you know, we'd st- sit on the patio and just look up at airplanes. It's cool going right over our head. It's one of those like awe-inspiring things it where is. it's weird. Like planes, they're they're all they're everywhere all the time. But when you like sit and watch one take off it's or amazing. land, it, yeah, you're yeah. like, holy shit, that's fucking crazy. There's have people in there. So yeah, there's people <laughs> sitting in chairs in the sky. Like, it's that's insane. So crazy. And yeah. then when you could see them so close you can see like in the window you're like wow they could just fall <laughs> yeah yeah that's the other they thing they could just too. fall on us it it looks impossible like it looks it, impossible it looks like, like it doesn't work yeah like the the you look at the size of the wing and the size of the plane and you think about the weight of the fuel and the weight of the baggage and all the people and you're like those wings aren't big enough to oh. like it feels but it's just the i, I don't know i don't know science Some, that something well, but, yeah. about lift <laughs> yeah, uh, torque or something yeah. i'm not sure but every time i still yeah. like i have i don't know you call it a phobia but every time i hear a plane that sounds closer than normal because now yeah. i have like an average yeah like usually it sounds like this yeah, yeah, yeah. so when it sounds closer i'm always like oh shit <laughs> yeah, this oh one, shit this one's flying into my it, house this is the one <laughs> yeah but then i look around the neighborhood like well no other planes have crashed ever what are the chances i well i do whenever i see one of those little planes uh, you know like i always watch those i'm like oh, those are the ones those are the yeah, ones that go down ones yeah. going down i always i'm gonna end up crashing my yeah, car one day the Howard Hughes, yeah you know <laughs> yeah did he crash his plane to a bunch of houses I'm in culver sure. but yeah but he was making like the spruce moose or yeah, something like he was making like 10 layered planes and stuff he was crazy yeah i like that story yeah that, he, uh leonardo dicaprio yeah you see the, the, aviator? the aviator yeah yeah had, you know i i'm such an idiot i saw the title aviator and i thought it was just a movie about a pilot i thought so too yeah. i didn't know much about howard hughes when right. it came out it was maybe like 15 years ago it was a long right. time ago when oh it yeah came out. um yeah he was a fascinating dude um i still have to see citizen kane that's about william randolph hearst he's oh, okay. another fucking fascinating dude citizen that, kane from like the 1950s yeah like classic movie that the simpsons always reference exactly yeah <laughs> it's considered like the best movie of all time but it was um it, it was based on william randolph hearst who is the reason why marijuana is illegal he was the, oh the, the paper, paper guy yeah the paper oh, yeah, guy joe yeah. rogan always talks about yeah he owned uh he owned like all the media like he owned newspapers and there wasn't really radio and stuff back then so like um when hemp was going to become easier to farm because they they came up with a cotton gin which is why cotton and you know paper and stuff like that was so easy to you know work with or whatever but they didn't have an easy way to uh, process hemp they came up with a, a hemp like a cotton gin for hemp and then that's when he did the whole smear campaign on uh on hemp because he didn't want to have to tear down his paper mills and re you know grow hemp you it's know, crazy whatever, that, so. like that's yeah I don't know if you'd call it common knowledge, but it's like people it know now. that yeah. hemp is a better quality product, but you still don't see it. I, it'll happen. I mean, I never Hen- thought. Yeah. Henry Ford built a car out of hemp. Like, really? he, yeah, there's a there's a video or picture of him on, I think, Popular Mechanics or Popular Science. And he's hitting um, he's hitting a fender with a hammer. Oh, and it like doesn't dent. It doesn't dent. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, this is hemp. It's the it's the 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 pro- um, I want to say like the product or the fiber or whatever of the 21st century right. and all this stuff. The material. Uh, yeah, exactly. It was, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be the new big cash crop. And it was, there's, there's, um, there's like, 
like unreleased um um like cover magazines where it says you know like the new big product and then they did that big you know uh smear campaign the um yeah. the the uh, marijuana madness marijuana yeah reefer yeah. madness reefer yeah. madness that's yeah what it was. yeah and uh and it just scared everybody and it was it was about like at first they said pot was um dangerous it was going to make us violent and mm. then and then they found when people went to vietnam and they would smoke weed they became pacifists and they oh. were like this doesn't help us so then they switched oh, and they like, said yeah. now okay it's like, like it makes us non-violent and it makes us a weak nation it's so weird how they change their narrative yeah, so many to whatever times. fits whatever exactly. fits the common just keep it common, illegal yeah and now they're finding out like mushrooms and mdma yeah, and everything like, that coming like they're medicine. legalizing mushrooms yeah and they, i was like wow yeah i mean all it took was weed yeah they put their foot in the the psychedelic water you exactly. know and now boom well, they, as CBD, eating. all that stuff. Like, all yeah, think about where it. our 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 civilization would be right now if, like, like they're making CBD for pets. Yeah, you know, they're making CBD. I was for just about adults. to say that. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's that's unbelievable. That's how, like, how mainstream it is now. Yeah. It's super common. You it's go to every pharmacy, vet hospital. There's CBD. Store. Yeah, vitamins, pills, ointments, elixirs, it, everything. It's better than Tylenol and oh, Advil. Hell yeah. All that shit. All this. Do we swear? Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. It's better than all yeah. that shit that's on the um. You know, like all the all the over the counter drugs that the CBD and and yeah, Tylenol yeah. kills people and animals all the time. Most, people didn't even know how yeah. dangerous Tylenol was until like. 2014 when they yeah. finally had to put the liver damage like warnings on the labels Tyler, for like yeah. 30 years they were killing people well, and not putting it on the label the label thing um there was i think a guy in the 80s who put uh um oh i want to say it was like uh uh what's that thing that they put the um the capsules, cyanide. Someone, oh, put cyanide a, pills. someone put a cyanide capsule inside of a Tylenol bottle and a kid took it and died. And then that's why they started making those ta uh, tamper evidence seals. Oh, okay. That like was how Tylenol. But Tylenol is still like the most dangerous thing in your cupboard. Even sure. people who overdose on like Vicodin and stuff like that, it's usually the Tylenol yeah. in it that kills them. Killing their liver. Yeah. Because yeah, you take like 15 or 20 of those, that's like like 10,000 milligrams. And people of, are drinking on it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's way worse for you than any other, you know. Yeah, that's something that we learned like Vet 101. Uh, mm -hmm. One extra strength Tylenol will kill your cat. 100%. Just one. Yeah. yeah, if you accidentally drop one on the carpet and your yeah. cat eats it, it's over. Liver failure. It, it Dog, can, take a couple more, but your yeah. cat is super susceptible. And I always tell people like, you know, if you if you have a cat problem, you yeah. really have is a lack of extra strength Tylenol problem. <laughs> you want to get rid of your neighbor's cat? That's crazy. Super cruel, but it'll work. The pet poisoning podcast. What What have I signed up for? No, I don't I don't advocate for it, but you know, <laughs> some people got cats they got to take care of. Netflix is going to make a new show called Meow <laughs> Mew. <laughs> it's going to be on me. Don't fuck with cats. It's going to come after me. You seen this one? Oh, this yeah, Netflix yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking of you, the show about the serial killer. But yeah, I watched the, the Netflix killer. That thing, I was like, I'm just going to watch a little bit of this and go to bed. I was up for like six yep. hours. Yep, I watched that happened the whole to me. Thing. I was like, I'm just going to check it out. Nope. I don't even, thing. I can't believe that I didn't hear about this, but it's also one of those things that you think, oh, this happens all the time. Like you're like, people must be <sighs> serial killing on the internet all the time. Dude, it's so deep it's, and scary. Cause is, I don't know how much of that is going on. I don't know much about the deep, dark web you know, you know i don't I know. know that's not even the dark web that was facebook. that was a regular facebook yeah like right? that was like regular <laughs> like the thing that scares me the most is i've met like maybe half of my girlfriends that way online like uh, and i've met girls that did have fake profiles like that stalked me and stuff and uh, i was just like oh um I, I just thought you know oh you know she's just 
you know, she misses me or she's crazy. But now I'm like going like, dude, these people make fake because pro- I don't have any fake profile. No, you know no, what I mean? So like, you don't, I don't know that mentality. I barely check my real profile. So it's mm. like, yeah. So it's weird to think like, what if one of these people was like a serial killer? Like, what if someone would have? Well, that's another know. reason why you get I get married, you know, because yeah. especially when I was in L.A. before single, like it was yeah. probably the most dangerous, self-destructive lifestyle that you can Dating be in, in and not sucks. end up in jail. I was yeah. I was, you know, you were telling me before I ended up like living in my car, a bunch yeah. of shitty living situations. Yeah. 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 lost a bunch of friends yeah. i came to la with friends yeah like, yeah they, too. people yeah. i knew people that i was like this is my brother this is yeah. my sister yeah uh, we I don't had, talk anymore i had great friends when i moved out here from comedy um when when you're doing comedy on the road you make buddies and mm-hmm. then you come to la and then those same buddies like all of a sudden don't care well some most of them did like for a few years and then a couple of them blew up like a couple of them got their own tv shows became famous you know whatever and then um a couple of them just we just kind of faded away or something mm-hmm. stupid happened. We got into some stupid argument. Just yeah. never stopped, you know, never talked again. It was That's weird. what happened to me. Stupid arguments yeah. that spiraled. Because, you know, I'm like... Everyone talks shit out here, too. <sighs> Dude, Everybody I would, gossips. It's hot in here. You could probably pour that water now. No worries. Um, yeah, yeah, it's I, a very, very strange city. It's... um. Uh, to quote Adam Carolla, it's like a rental car, you know, like no, it's nobody's re- actual city. So everyone just kind of treats it like, uh, yeah, like nobody, <laughs> nobody cares about, you know, the environment or people or anything out here. They're just, I'm here for me and nobody else. Unfortunately, that's exactly how I felt when I was out here. But you don't know it first. Like I, I had friends that ended up dicking me over. Yeah. And then I made friends that ended up dicking me over. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then it was like, okay. I had a roommate that was stealing my money. Um, like I was giving him the rent check and then he would pay the rent to the landlord or whatever. And then after like six months, the landlord knocked on the door and I hadn't seen him in a while. I guess he'd moved back to him with his girlfriend or something. And mm. like, uh, the landlord's like, I'm evicting you. And I'm like, what? And I showed huh. her all the check stubs and stuff. And she's like, oh, I, she's like, you know, Jeff said you weren't paying rent. And what? yeah, huh. I'm like, what? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, I'm not going to put on your credit, but you do got to get out. Like you, you can't pay $3,000 a month. And so I'm like, what? And it was like Christmas Eve. It was like, I lost my job on Christmas Eve. It was like this terrible situation. And like literally two weeks later, um, I had the top movie at Sundance like oh, like so shit. like I couldn't even afford to go to Sundance the only reason I even went was because uh two of my regular customers at the restaurant I worked at they gave me their frequent flyer miles to oh, fly shit. out for the festival and we ended up winning top prize and people are like you know you're gonna be a star and this and that and I'm like I'm sleeping in a U-Haul right now you yeah. know like yeah. I'm sleeping in my car and then I came back from from Salt Lake or, or from Park City where I felt like the celebrity and you know, and there's like whatever, like thirty thousand people in Park City, and they all have seen your movie, and everyone like you know, you get standing ovations and whatever. And and then you come back to, to LA, and I was like, I had my Montreal audition, and um, it was just really weird. As all of a sudden, I was nobody again. Like yeah. it was so weird. I, like is. I came back to the comedy store, and they're like, uh, "All right, what's your name?" And I'm like, "Oh, here's my intro. Uh, I just had a movie at Sundance." He's like, "Whatever." <laughs> <And> he's like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, what what's the point of accomplishing anything? Nobody remembers." Yeah, it's like you have to. Just keep doing it or do something that people, I don't know how people choose what they respect. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause I'll see one guy do something that I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem like that difficult. And then boom, he's a somebody. Yeah. You see somebody else like hammering away year after year doing amazing things like consistently. Yeah. No one gives a shit. Yeah. I, I, I used to kind of look at people like Louis CK and be like, if he is that talented and didn't make it until he was like, but then again, he, he had made it 
to sure. a certain extent. You know, like he yeah. made like you know he was on Hootie TV. Tang. He was writing on TV. Yeah, yeah he was been... working with real celebrities. Exactly. Yeah. He wasn't waiting tables. Yeah, like yeah, so, so I'm a little bit behind. I, I don't like yeah. it when people say that. They're like, oh, well, Louis C.K. did. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but he was writing for television. I'm yeah. 36, no yeah. credits. Even like, like you yeah. know, Attell was writing for SNL. So, mm. so all these people started in their 20s. Mm. I didn't even move to LA until I was like 28. Mm. I it was like six years on the road. Um, I had like 300,000 miles on my car before I even moved to LA. So I was like, I I told myself, I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Then I came out here and I was like, shit, you're never ready. It doesn't Mm. matter if I would have come out here when I was 40, I still wouldn't be ready. Mm. But if I came out younger, I would have at least had that going for me, like the energy and the yeah. Know, I, the I think those optimism. are the, the hardest people to compete with are young guys. Yeah, one hundred percent because yeah. they have potential, mm-hmm. and you might have talent, but your potential is waning. You know, like yeah, it's like I, they people would much rather work with a young person who they could you know, maybe exploit a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're willing to be exploited for a little bit of money or, mm-hmm. or for a little bit of experience. A little bit of fame. Yeah, versus an older person who's got like a day job who's paying their bills and living comfortably and whatever. That person's not going to put up with as much, you know. They'll yeah, be like, nah. that's what I was told when I first got, because I came out here with a job. I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was still like super struggling. Yeah. Um, but I had a job and all these comedians were telling me, oh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it because you don't have that starving fight instinct and i was like well that's not true because i moved away from all my comforts yeah i could have a better job in a better situation at home so i'm still struggling yeah you still came and swung at the big pinata it's not like you like half of my friends back home stayed home or if they did come out here they came out here for like six months or a year and then went back kind of a thing so so like i mean in a sense you are taking a huge chance i had i heard that a lot too it was like if you have something to fall back on you will fall back on it Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's not like I like waiting tables. You no, know, I don't like. I don't think that there's a formula. Yeah, no, yeah. One. Believe yeah. me, I there's there's a part of me that goes maybe you should find something else. You know, like maybe you should look at. You know, maybe you should try to figure out another way to use your talents. And then another part of me goes, what else do you know? You know, mm-hmm. like what else do you want to do? I I quit a while back when I turned thirty on my thirtieth birthday. I got real. I, so on my thirtieth birthday. Things had like that that job thing and the homeless thing had happened. The Sundance thing, uh, the Sundance thing also should have made me a lot of money um, in the contract because I wrote some of the movie and I acted in it and everything. So I was supposed to make part. We sold it for a million dollars. And uh, yeah, first night, opening night, standing ovation, sold it to participant media. Uh, they they do like they did like the help and a bunch of other big movies like Waiting for Superman. They're they're a big distribution sure. company. Bought it for a million dollars. Uh, I was supposed to get a point, a percentage of that because they couldn't pay me to do the movie. So they said that we'll give you a percentage of the profits. Then when I started mentioning, hey, um, when do I get my chunk of the million? All of a sudden it was like, uh, if you tell anybody you wrote the movie, uh, they never gave me writing credit. They never gave yeah. me, oh, dude, dude this was this was insane. Um, like I never got paid for it. And I was so like- after they bought it, they took control. So they tried to get me to sign away my rights. They kept trying to give me contracts. And then they step, They started threatening me, not participant, but the producers of the film. The pr- participant stayed pretty quiet, but I think they were acting through the producers. They tried to get me to sign away my rights to the film. I didn't. Um, and then uh, I found out, they also threatened me. They said, if you do anything, we're going to make it so that you never work in this town or never Jeez, work in this. actually yeah. happens? They were like, well, they were like, we're going to spread rumors about you that Damn. you're difficult to work with and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why would you? I'm like, I did everything. I jumped through all the hoops to make this fucking thing happen we made it happen and now it's successful and not only that but you know we're here at sundance i've been working on i've been working on the film since 2006 and this was 2011 and um and yeah and then and then they didn't want to pay me so like that was like like 
like on top of all of that, like they didn't, I didn't have any money to show for it, you know? So like, yeah. so then I came, I came back to LA with, with no money and I had this prestigious project, but I also like, I was, and so I got big auditions and big managers and agents that were interested in me. But at the same time, like every agent I'd had up until that point, everybody I'd worked with up until that point had basically screwed me over, you know, mm -hmm. like they, they, they promised me this and never, you know, came through or whatever. Wow. And, uh, and I was sleeping in my car and then that's when I got offered a, you know, a restaurant job and I'm like, I got to take it. I got to yeah, eat, you, you know? Eat. Yeah. You can't go on these. Like, I remember one of my friends booked a series regular role on a TV show and he told me how much they got paid. Um, uh, spoiler alert, 20 grand a week. That's like minimum wage for uh, yeah. a series regular on a TV show. So if you get your own TV show and you're a series regular, meaning you're in every episode, you're in like the opening credits, you start out at 20 grand a week. Some of wow. some of my friends are at, like, I have a friend on the walking dead. I think he's making like 40 grand a week, something Jesus. like that. It's insane. That's insane. Um, it's it insane. insane. Um, and, uh, and, and like, I remember I was auditioning for a show called New Girl and I was supposed to be a series regular. Like I, I was up for, you know, reading for one of the series regular roles and they're just sitting there talking to me and all I can hear in my head is I haven't eaten in two days, hey. 20 grand and week, 20 grand a week. You know, I showered at the gym before I went to the audition, you know, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Nah, you know, and I'm just sitting there. They're like, they're like, okay, here's the notes on the scene. And I'm just going like 20 grand a week, 20 grand a week, 20 grand a week. I can't, my back hurts. I've been sleeping in my car. Like, you know, just, yeah. and then they're like, you got it. And I'm like, uh yeah yeah i think i got it you know and uh -huh. it was just like the worst audition of my life I, you know i had a bunch of them like that like where i'm just sitting there i'm like i can't i can't perform like this Focus. so on my 30th birthday uh i um I, I was doing bringer shows and um and i did this bringer show where uh i i I was having, I was, I would always get like one or two people to come to these bringer shows and like some of the bringer, if you, for, for those who don't do comedy, bringer shows are, uh, basically, uh, they're, they're like a toxic format for comedy where yeah. it's every comedian, any, anybody can perform on stage as long as they bring like eight people or mm -hmm. five people or whatever. Friends and family or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, yeah. You have to manipulate all your friends you and know, you can only call out. in. Yeah. You can only call in so many favors before yeah. your friends are like, dude, fuck, I'm fuck not that. coming anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like you're doing these every week. Um, and, uh, and it's like, you know, you, you, after a while you can't do that, but it also, it also, it creates a terrible show because your friends come to see you and then they don't want to sit through anyone else. So people get up and leave or, and they, they got to sit through like six comics, six that terrible aren't comics doing comedy. They right? didn't earn those spots. Right. Yeah. They just exactly. brought people. And, um, and so, but I was still doing these bringer shows. Um, and, uh, I did, I, re I remember announcing on Facebook, I did this big like event invite and it's my 30th birthday and come to the show. And then afterward we'll go out for drinks and it'll be a big party. And, uh, you know, everybody in LA that I know, come on out, you know, it's, you know, I'll, uh, if you can't pay for your ticket, I'll buy your ticket. Come out. It's my 30th birthday. I want to celebrate. Not one person showed Dude, up to my 30th fucking birthday party. I wish party. that you listened to previous... Exact yeah. same thing happened to me. Really? That's what made me leave LA. Yeah, I, I quit. I, I literally announced on stage that I've been doing comedy for 10 years, and that, or nine years. I started when I was 21. And I was like, this is my last show. I'm like, I'm, I can't do this anymore. The booker bitched me out before my set, going, you didn't bring one person. I'm like, it's my 30th birthday, bitch. You don't think like, I fucking tried? I'm like, yeah. you, think, you think you're upset? You know, like... Yeah, I, and I was doing uh, yeah. bringer shows with this guy, Brian Monarch. Do you know that guy? No, but it sounds familiar. He does. He was doing the little bringer shows at the comedy store, but it blew up. Now he does these big shows with like 
Brian Kellen and Chris D'Elia. Well, at least he's booking on Merit in, now. Yeah. In the beginning, it was like Craig Conant. You know Craig Conant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember when he first started out. He's doing yeah. good now. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing great now. Yeah. So I was doing shows with him and his Travis Van Ryan and some other guy, Mike Fellows, I think his name was. I know Mike. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it just like the show got bigger and bigger and bigger. But the same thing happened to me. I did probably eight shows with them. Yeah. And the first show, I brought like 35 people. Yeah. Then yeah. I brought like 10 people. Then yeah. I brought like six people. Yeah. Then I brought like two people. Yeah. Then it was my 30th fucking birthday. And I invited everybody. I bought tickets for people that said they didn't have money. Zero people showed <sighs> it's up. Painful. Zero. The yeah. only person who showed up was my friend Cesar Lazardo. Yeah. And he came late. He missed my set. <laughs> I was man. so sad, man. It's I like got sick. I had I, I had another, sick. Yeah, yeah. Physically I, ill after that. I yeah, I was exactly the same way. I got so depressed that I like I didn't know if I was physically ill or if it was mental. I I literally I I, I quit, and I never felt lower. And more unhappy than I ever felt. I had a girlfriend at the time. Yeah. She didn't even fucking come. Oh my god! I bought her a ticket. I bought her dad a ticket. They yeah. didn't come. I I, I was yeah. living with the girl at the time. I went home that night. The next morning, she yeah. went to work. I packed my shit and drove back to Indiana. Yeah, like quit my That's, job yeah. on the road. I I would have. I should have. I should have done that. I should have gone home, spent some time with my family, reset. I didn't. I I sat here and wallowed. But what I did find myself so i started thinking about moving i was mm -hmm. like i'm like maybe i'll move to australia maybe i'll move to like i'm like i want to live somewhere sunny but i don't want to i don't want to be in la anymore like there's no reason for me to stay here so like i looked into australia which they don't want you unless you're like a no, doctor or right nurse unless or you have yeah. a good job or yeah. you're young exactly they'll yeah. take you if you're young yeah but they don't they, they don't actually want like 30 they, year old they prefer good looking people oh 100 like, yeah. yeah they're good looking themselves yeah, yeah. for sure um by the way, that stalker that I was talking about was uh, from Australia. But anyway, like, uh, yeah. So like, so then that I spent that year trying to figure. out, I was like, maybe I'll become a teacher. That's what I thought. I was like, I'm like, I can perform, and I love kids, and I always thought I could be a teacher. And I was like, maybe I'll look into being a teacher. And then I started finding myself like at like one o'clock at night, like sneaking out to do like a late night open mic at <laughs> Flappers or something. And I was like, I was like, I just want to, I just want to do it for me. You know, like uh, I was like, I'm me. like, it's not, this isn't my career. This is, I'm not doing this for anyone else. I'm going to go somewhere where people don't know who I am. And, you know, like, and I'm like, I just, I just want to, I just want to fuck around. I have an idea that I want to run with. I just want to get on a platform and rant mm -hmm. into a loud microphone, you know, or whatever. And, um, and uh, I started sneaking out and doing these like a couple times a week. And that's actually how Roast Battle started. It was an 1130 open mic at the uh, yeah, comedy the store. Yeah, go up. Yeah, so I would go, I would work until like 11 o'clock. And then I would go there in my work clothes, throw my name in the hat and just kind of sit in the back of the room where I didn't know anybody. And um, Moses was the only person I knew in that room, basically. Mm. And um, and yeah, one night he just asked me if, uh, he's like, hey, do you want to, he's like, we were going to have some people roasting each other, but they're not here. Do you want to roast? And um, so I ended up roasting a girl named Chelsea Garo. I never met before in my life. She was just mm. sitting next to me and he's like, you guys want to <laughs> roast each other? So we roast each other. Uh, like but you this just was wrote like, jokes on the spot? Yeah, yeah. This uh. was this was all improv. Like we're just <laughs> sitting here and the, there's four people in the crowd. It's wow. me and Chelsea, Brian, I think Rel. Like there's like maybe six or seven people in the room and then it's like kind of like a rotating door, people coming and going, you know, mm -hmm. it's the belly yeah, room, people yeah. coming upstairs, going downstairs, like a revolving door, right. uh, inpatient, Is this still when people are hanging out in the back steps when they still let us do that? Uh, back yeah, there? oh, this, there was nobody in there. There was no fire oh. hazard. There was nobody in the room, nobody there. Um, and, and I mean, like the back door was open. People were outside smoking yeah, and talking. Nobody's mm -hmm. paying attention. Sure. Um, and then, so, so I beat Chelsea based on a applause thing. You know, they were like, all right, who do you think won? Um, applause, yeah. uh, uh -huh. Cena. Okay, Cena won. And then for 
whatever reason, they had Hormoz, who was also there. He was working that night as a door guy or whatever. He battled Chelsea after me, which is weird. That the same he, night? Yeah, this was right after, like like five minutes after. Okay. Poor Chelsea got beat twice in a row. Um, so rather than having the winner go on, Moses had the loser get roasted again. Um, and then he had me and Hormoz go battle each other, um, roasting each other. Yeah. And then that was um, that was basically how it started, to the best of my memory. Because I remember, like we, like Hormoz and I were both pretty quick on our feet, and we were just kind of like. Going. Yeah, I know Hermos. Then, yeah, he, he was, was a door guy. He's not anymore. I don't think he is no, anymore. No, no, yeah, and he was on pain medicine. I remember he had broken his ankle or foot or something. I can't remember his arm or something like that. And um, I just remember we we they like we ended up going like six or seven rounds. And we just kept tying. <laughs> it was a great it, yeah. time. It was, it was yeah. We were just we were both like I remember at one point we looked at each other because the room started filling up. Like people mm -hmm. from I remember like Whitney Cummings and a few other people wow. from like the OR had come up to see what all the noise was about because wow. I remember like I think it was Rel or maybe. Maybe it was Jamar would like run up. This is like before the wave was a thing. Like would run up on stage and be like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. You know, or whatever. When and, like, people were just like doing shit for fun, losing their minds. Yeah, it was just like they were just like ah, you know, like it was like <laughs> it was like dozens. It was like hanging yeah. out with your friends outside of school. It wasn't people were it going had, crazy for no reason, just for, for no fun. Re we're just, yeah, we're just, just to amp the energy up. up. Yeah, yeah. It was just like it was like ah, you know, like just getting into it. Days. Yeah, it was it was just for fun, yeah. and we're just busting each other's balls. And um, eventually, hormones won. And then afterward, we were outside, and he was like, "Oh." you know he's like i only won because they know me or whatever and i was like well that's nice of you to say but then i remember driving home thinking of all these like oh i should have said this and then i should have said that and then you know a few months went by and then i came back to do the open mic and it mm. was packed it was like the room was like like sold out standing room only and um moses was like dude he's like and i'm like what the fuck happened like what is this thing and he was like it took off and he's like you want to do a battle i was like sure and uh so he set up a battle between me and omid which I didn't write for because I thought it was all improv. Improv again. And then he'd like Googled me and shit. He's um, like talking about like my IMDB page and stuff. And <laughs> I'm like, your beard uh, looks gay. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. Like, you're gayer than cum in your mustache. I don't know. Like, I didn't know what to say. Like, and, I, and they, I remember like they called it after two rounds. They were like, uh, you're very unprepared. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I want this to end very quickly. Oh and man, that's amazing. I miss, I just missed yeah. that. When I, came in it was 2015 end of 2015 when yeah, I, I think first that was like started. an hour i think we were a year in by then i think yeah. it's 2014 i think yeah when i came in and it had been going on long enough that it was big but yeah. there was still very few people doing it yeah there was only like 50 dudes doing it maybe oh, 30 maybe i was gonna say it was a lot of the same people yeah. over and over and over yeah, again yeah nobody had started doing it yet when i saw it the first people time people were terrified of it i was it, terrified it was i was terrified i saw like pat barker rose like doug fager and i yeah. was like oh i can't do that yeah and then i saw some jabronis you know months yeah. later i yeah. see all these like open micers up there and i'm like oh i could do that yeah <laughs> so so the night that i so i ended up using roast battle to make friends weirdly enough so like sure. the night that um i lost to omid um pat uh, Pat Barker challenged me to battle or whatever and okay. I was like and I had like this kind of like I just got my ass kicked so I'm gonna go hit the gym and train and like I'm mm -hmm. not gonna get my ass kicked again right so like you know I, I wrote I wrote really hard on me and Pat met up a bunch and had a bunch of beers and Pat became like one of my best friends in comedy because I'd never met him before in my life and then we just became really yeah. good friends and um and then that, the joke I used to beat Pat was um it was uh I was like you you um 
I was like, you're you something about like you're a fan of Philly sports. You drive like a, a Nissan Sentra and you challenged me to battle after I lost after watching me get my ass kicked or something. And I'm like, the only thing more drawn to losers than you is your wife. Or something. <laughs> and that was like the joke that that won it for me. And then I, and then I think Olivia challenged me and then me and her became really good friends. And like I started throwing these parties after the shows. And and um, and again, like I was like, I'm like. This is awesome. Yeah. I, and I, I suddenly like, I'm like, maybe, maybe I do want to do comedy again. Maybe yeah, I, and it's, it was also hopeful. Cause like all these people were coming up and becoming kind of famous through the yeah, show, you no, know, like, I, saw, I saw all that. And I mean, yeah. obviously uh, we'll get to pets, the pet peeve podcast listeners. <laughs> we will, I swear. But yeah. I mean, the way from my point of view, I see you guys that are regulars on the show and there used to be a lot more, you know, regulars on the show than yeah. there are now. But the fact that you've remained, you've done something big. And then, like you said, with Sundance, you've done something big. That's what's kept you here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I I was talking to someone about this the other day is like I've had I've had all the spiritual accomplishments that I've wanted, you know, like sure. like, yeah, like all those things that like, you know, when you're starting out, you're like. You know, of course, you think about like money and and success and things like that. But really, you're like, I want the respect of my peers. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want I want people that I admire to go. You're you're not a hack. You know, right, like you're right. doing you're you're someone that I get a kick out of. Mm-hmm. And it's happened a number of times. Like like John Stewart came recently, and I got a couple of texts from people like John was laughing his ass off at you, and uh, like Dave Chappelle like said something from the stage, and then like Crystalia during the taping was like, he's like, uh, let's hear more from the yeah. store again. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So like, so like, I had, I got, I, I earned the respect of the people that I that I cared about, and I and I done like enough shows where people that I admired, you know, treated me like they're equal, like an equal, right? Yeah, and that was a really good feeling. Like that kind of got me through like the really dark times, you know, when it's like you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to keep going, but then you're like, but I made Chappelle laugh, yeah, and that felt really good, you know, like that, like that felt really really good. But then you also go like. But why won't anyone hire me? You yeah. know? Like, why are they hiring like twenty-two-year-old kids to write for shows when mm. it's like I've got like a track record and mm. you know whatever? And uh, that that always nagged at the back of me, which was like, I'm like, do people just not like me? Or yeah, what did I? I sent you like a super sad message. Remember that day? Am I just not likable? You know, you have that emotion. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like it, yeah. what is wrong with me? It's like yeah. nothing. It's, nothing, dude. Nothing. Yeah, like, and it's weird because like it's. It's really just hanging out, mm. which I think is something that youth allows you to do. Is you're when you're sure. 22, you're yeah, like you can hang out a little bit more. Yeah, I'll hang out. Yeah, when you're when you're in your 30s, you're like I don't really, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to have a beer. I'll come out if I'm hired. You know, yeah. like, hire me. I'll I'll show up. You know, or whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah, like and I mean, even roast battle, man. Like every week for it's been like six years. And Fuck yeah. I mean, I missed a lot of last year. Um, but I I just I had like. There's a whole, there's a lot of me where I'm like, I can only give so much of myself away for free before right. I'm like, look, if this is going to be an obligation, you got to pay me. If this is for fun, then I'll show up when I feel like it. You right. know? But like, um, but you know, then also it's like, you know, when it comes to the TV show and stuff, like, are they going to consider me or are they going to pass on me? Cause that, that really hurt the first season, first couple seasons, you know, when they did, um, the second season they did the taping, they called me three hours before the taping and asked me to do it. So like, huh. so like the night before was a Tuesday and we did the show. And up until that point, I had not been, I knew we were taping the next day, but no one had told me or asked me. And I put it out there. I'm like, Hey, am I going to be part of this taping or, and nobody had said anything. And I was kind of bummed out that Heck whole yeah. Wednesday. I woke up Wednesday and I was like, man, this sucks. You know, like every, they're all hanging out and I'm not even invited. And, um, and then like at like 4.30, I get a text from Moses. What are you doing tonight? And I was like, 
moping what are you doing <laughs> you know and he's like he's like do you want to do the taping and i was like yeah yeah for sure and i was like who's gonna be there who's who's battling and um i spent i had three hours to get ready and i spent an hour and a half of it driving to go buy a new uh, wig and mustache because i yes. knew it'd be on tv and, and that then, looks better than yeah. what you're using week after week exactly yeah mm. yeah i was raggedy and i was having like an anxiety attack going like i've had no time to even mentally Correct. prepare for this to to think about write a joke you know, or even put yourself in the frame of mind or even do my laundry you know like ah, you know shit. like show up with clean clothes anything you know and um and it turned out well and i was grateful for that but then the third season came around and again they were like sorry we don't have a spot for you and then like like oh. as a saudi prince or they, they don't want to do like a, a side person thing I, I was like i'll battle I'll, sure. i'm like i'll write for other battlers i'll do anything i was like i'll be sure. a pa i'm like dude i'll just i just want to work in show business i don't yeah. want to i'm like i'll do anything sure. I, I have no ego about it i just don't want I don't want to be left out of something that I've invested so much in myself. Well, what about on the side? Is like Jeff Ross appreciative of the many shows that you've saved? I don't know. I don't think that they see it that way. Jeff's always nice to me. Um, but I mean, so so Jeff calls me like a week before season three and he goes, Jeremiah is going to be at Montreal because he got accepted to the Just for Last Festival. So we have a spot opening up since someone in the wave isn't going to be there. We'll have a spot for you. And I was like, well, thank you you know, forgive for, um, and it's kind of, I think this is what's wrong with dating in LA as well. Mm. You feel like you're everybody's silver medal. You know, you're like, <laughs> I'm always, I'm everyone's second choice. Yeah, I'm everyone's yeah. fallback plan. Yeah. And that's like, it's like a shitty uh, feeling I in fucking, dating I and it's a you, shitty dude. feeling. It's a, and, it's a shitty feeling at work too. Yeah. Dude, if if everyone is. looks to you to like, to pick, to clean up their mess or to, you know, when everyone thinks of you, when like, as a secondary thought or like an afterthought. That's mm. a, it's a really horrible, horrible feeling. Um, it's an isolating feeling. It's a lonely feeling. And especially when you're like, I'm doing everything I can or I think I'm doing everything I can to 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 be memorable. Yeah, to separate be, myself. Exactly, mm. yeah. I'm trying to be consistent. I'm trying to... I even said like, I'm like, I'll be a battler in season two. And uh, they did a Denver episode and I'm from Salt Lake City. And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, you, you flew people in from Texas. You flew people in from, from Chicago to say that they were from Denver. And then I'm like, I'm from Salt Lake. I've, I'm practically from Denver. Right. I could have said I was a local Denver comic. And um, I and mean, did you say these things? I told them when, when yeah. I found out that they were filming in Denver, I uh, was like, hey, I'm what like, about hey. me? Yeah. And they were like, oh, we didn't even think about it. And I was like, dude, oh, great. Really? Yeah. I'm like, you see me every week. You didn't think about it. Um, so, yeah. So then when the when season three came around, they were like, we're hiring you for one show. They were like, just come for one show. Um, and just, you know, they're like, we don't know how it's going to work. Just do your best. So, like, I sat and I had a week to think about it. So I figured out how to kind of put a context to why this person, because the reason I think they didn't want me there is they didn't want me being mixed up as a judge or being confused as a judge or maybe even like stealing a judge's thunder since they, they do the want same the thing judges to yeah. comment. Yeah, do, exactly. Do yeah, they, you do. Yeah, that's what the judges are supposed to do. That's why mm -hmm. they're getting people that are celebrities yeah, not, or whatever. Not, yeah. Man, if you've and, come to the show, people that have never been to the Ballet Room show, like the Saudi Prince, I'm sure if you guys have seen the Periscope, but if you haven't, it is like the one guy who's sort of outside of everybody else who routinely saves the show. Like if there's two comics that are bombing, Moses relies on you well, to I, like get a laugh out of that I whole try to set. have something. I always yeah. try to have something, you know, like, like if it, my, in best case scenario, 
I just sit quietly in the audience and mm. I don't say anything because if the show's flowing, I don't want to yeah, mess let it with go. the flow, yeah. you know. But if, but if he says Saudi Prince, what do you think? Yeah, or if, mm. yeah, but if it's like if it, the judges are struggling or the battlers are struggling or whatever, I I always consider myself kind of like um, Statler and Waldorf of the Muppets, you know, the guys <laughs> that sit up in the yeah, balcony yeah, and they heckle. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like you know, if the show's bad, I'll try to save it with with whatever I can. If if the show's good, I'm just gonna sit quietly. Let it ride. Yeah, let it yeah. ride. I, I kind of yeah. like the polar opposite of the wave. The wave goes up when a joke kills. I come up when a joke bombs. bombs. Yeah, kind of that's funny. Did you, did you? Uh, how did the Saudi prince come about in the first place? What was the? Well, was it Earl, like planned or was it random? Kind of. Earl Earl created the haters table. The haters table. So yeah, yeah the haters table wasn't there that first night when we were doing no, it was the later, open mic. Right? But uh, when I came back a few months later, um, Earl was sitting in that seat with uh, his girlfriend at the time, uh, Whitney Rice, I believe. And um, and they played like this kind of like yuppie, um, like we went to Yale and, you know, <laughs> we live in the Hamptons or whatever, you know, like that kind of like, you know, racist, white, rich kind yeah, of. The waspy. Know, the, the waspy, exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, they had that kind of like, you know, very racist, you know, like we didn't like it. We thought it was very, <laughs> you know, like we get the darkies off the stage or whatever. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, how they had, that they, up. But much yeah. funnier, much funnier. Sure. And, um, and they were great. And then Whitney went on to, I think she got a job with Larry King, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, and then Earl was doing it by himself, which is kind of a lot of heavy, heavy lifting by yourself to, to do that. And um, so he would, because there was only a few of us that were regulars at that time, it was basically like me, Pat, Connor, um, Keith and Olivia and Omid, if I remember, I think that's all of us. And we would rotate. So we would, uh, we would have a calendar and an email and we would send out like, all right, you're hating this, this Tuesday. I'm hating this Tuesday. Okay. okay. I wondered how that worked. Yeah. Uh, So we, we, we worked out like a schedule. schedule. Yeah. And then it would be like, Hey, this is my birthday. We all found out by by the way that we all have like April birthdays. Um, but, uh, yeah, like we were like, Hey, that's on my birthday. Can we, can I have the night off or whatever? Um, and I remember one day, um, I sent out a, an email to the group and I was like, hey, you know, um, I don't know if it, about anybody else, but Earl is doing a character when he's there, you know, like he's he's doing like this kind of Tommy, he's making fun of the old booker of the comedy club. Um, and he's got kind of like this yuppie rich character. And meanwhile, we're all just sitting in that chair going, hi, I'm Cian Amundsen yeah. and here's the most racist thing you've ever heard, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I felt like, I'm like, this is, I'm like, why did, I you know I spent like five years at the Groundlings and did a lot of improv and stuff and I was like I can do characters like does anyone else want to try character I was like let's try characters like uh-huh. like let's anybody want to like try a character on their week or whatever and nobody replied and then I remember it was a Tuesday before my my week and um, I went through a bunch of my old like wigs and stuff from the Groundlings and mustaches and clothes and whatever and I was looking at stuff and trying stuff on and I remember sending pictures to Olivia and Pat going like hey what do you think what you know I'm thinking about doing like this character during the show and both of their responses were uh, good luck you know, like, <laughs> take your life in your hands uh, like I wouldn't do it but you know it's your choice whatever you want to do right and I'm like god is this a terrible idea I was like this is, might be the worst idea I've ever had and I was like but if ever it was going to work it would work in this show sure. like of, yeah. of any like I couldn't pull this off in a regular stand-up show. I'm sure that this would look weird. But and in you our just show, literally just like spontaneously thought maybe this will be a good idea. Well, it was an idea. Like, but you had I, never played that character before. No, no, I just oh, did, okay. I just created. It. I actually asked Moses before the show, and I was like, "Do you think I should play?" I'm like, "Do you think I should play this as a terrorist or as like a prince?" And he's like, "Be a prince." And I was like, "Okay." And I was that was like right because like right before I went on, Moses was like, "Who's this?" And I'm like, <laughs> "So I walk up 
as I get all in costume and everything, but then I take a change of clothes and I put them in the car because I'm like, what if I get there and they're like, get the fuck out of yes, here? You know, like, yeah. what are you doing? And, but I'm like in my head going like a, a transgender singer starts off the show and then we have mm -hmm. an autistic, you know, like yeah, yeah, chant yeah. leader. I'm like, if any show is going to embrace wave, weirdness, yeah. yeah, I'm like, it's going to be this. So I'm like, I'm going to be weird. I'm just, I'm just going to let my, my freak flag fly. So, um, so, but then I go up to Earl like, before the show and I'm like, Hey, are you okay with this? Because if this is going to mess you up, say so right now. And I'll just go, I have a change of clothes in the car. I'll just go put that on right now. And he just kind of gives me this sideways look and he's like, just be funny, dude. I don't care. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I just remember walking up the the hall of the comedy store and everyone's giving me these like weird well, like, looks. Like, what the like, fuck is he doing? Yeah, like, yeah. what is wrong with you, man? Like, why are you dressed like that? What is going on? And I'm like, I've always felt kind of like an outsider at the comedy store. Like, I'd always, up until that point, like, it did not feel like a home to me. It sure. always felt like an away game. And um, I know how you feel. Everybody, yeah, it just it had a weird clicky energy at that mm. point. It's better now. It's much better now. But I remember as I was going on stage or as I went to go take that seat, and Earl uh, or, or Moses introduces me. He goes, Earl, who's your friend? And he goes, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, dude. <laughs> thanks for the support. And I just grab the mic and I just yell out, I'm Saudi prince, mother bitch or whatever. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, you know, I just kind of went from there. And I just remember thinking to myself, if you're going to bomb, just Go Own big, it. yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like, just Fucking don't don't have one foot in the water. Don't tow the water. Uh, and get then, in there. You know, yeah, you're, you're gonna get your socks wet. Just jump in. So like, I just, I just like as loud and as energetic as I could. I just like improved, you know, th through the show, and it worked. It worked well, thank God. And then afterward, I found out that everyone that was giving me sideways looks. It wasn't because they thought I looked stupid. It was because people came up to me and they were like, we were trying to figure out who you were. They were like, everyone was like, who is that guy? Yeah, no, and it's a total alter ego. It's like, weird. It yeah, is. I thought, I thought, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, people thought it was Hormoz or Omid a lot. Like, like, I got a lot of, even for like months afterward, I would get like people on Periscope guessing or oh. coming up to me after the show, like, who <laughs> was are like you? like a Tony Clifton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, I never thought about that. I was, <laughs> but I was like, I, I thought it was so obvious that this is that I'm just putting on a, a, a wonky oh, yeah. voice yeah. and a mustache or whatever but um but yeah then and then people started requesting i started i became really popular on periscope but I, back then i was only doing it like once a month or something and then they asked me to battle and i was like well it doesn't make sense to battle as a character but battle a real person because mm -hmm. that's weird because yeah, I, I i can awkward. research you but you can't research me a fake like person yeah yeah so i'm like i'll battle another character and I only knew one other person who does it, who did a character in town, and that was, was uh, Flip Schultz, you know, Skippy Green, yeah, the old, right, the old right, vaudeville right. comic. I remember that battle. Um, yeah, so mm -hmm. he'd never done it before, so I, I sat down with him, and he's an old friend of mine, and so we, you know, sat down and and uh, I told him how the show worked, and I kind of gave him like a a, a structure, a, a outline, like short jokes are better. Don't do, you know, it's not like a roast where you're gonna do like a chunk of material. It's just mm -hmm. one line, and and you know, we kind of went over it. it. Actually, it's a really good battle. Like it came out uh, really well. He taped it and put it on YouTube. If yeah, anybody I think wants I've seen to watch it, it on YouTube. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that was the only time I battled as as the prince. And then afterward, um, they decided to get rid of the haters table. Um, Comedy Central, right? Well, Comedy Central did, wanted to take it out of the show um, because they said that it was an unnecessary, like, it was like it just, distraction. It, yeah, or something, distraction. Yeah, yeah. and and, um, and then uh, and then and then eventually they were like, well, if anyone's going to do it, um, we want it to be the Saudi Prince and Earl. And then Earl walked away from it, and I asked him for his blessing, and I'm like, hey man, this is your thing. Um, I'm not going to stand on your shoulders and and. I don't. That's not how I want to achieve success. This might be why I'm not successful, by the way, because this is how I've always approached my careers. I'll be like, "Hey, man, 
you know, it's more important to me that I don't, you know, hurt you. Step on toes, burn bridges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I value you as a friend. And secondly, I just feel like it's, it's immoral to take what you've created and then, and then like ride off, ride, it, run yeah. off with it. Yeah. So I'm like, w give me, if you have, if I have your blessing, I'll continue to do this. But if not, we'll retire the, the seat. I'll find another way to fit into the show. And he was like, no, no. He's like, uh, you have my blessing. If anyone's going to do it, I want it to be you. There's a few people that I don't want to do it. And I Earl know that would, Great guy. Yeah. And he's mm -hmm. like, he's like, I'd rather, well, until he, he went on every podcast and said that he, that he, sh that I should have asked for his blessing. And oh, that, no shit. Yeah. He, he went on a bunch of podcasts, said that I didn't ask for his blessing and that they, that we should have retired the chair. Huh. And I'm like, dude, I literally word for word, but anyway, uh, but I do love him. He's a really good guy. Um, and, uh, and, and, I do owe him a lot, but, uh, but yeah, I was kind of like hurt by that. I'm like, but then, yeah, the, what ended up, I wanted up walking away from the show for a little while because um, I found out that they were doing a show called Historical Rose. I was just about to ask you, did you have anything to do with the Historical Rose? Well, so like I, I didn't. Um, they did have me do a show called Your Hood's a Joke, um, which they taped. And I did that and I was like, and it turned out really well, surprisingly. And I was like, can I please get a copy of the tape? Because I, my girlfriend wanted to be there and she couldn't show up. So I was like, can, you know, can I just get a copy of the tape? You know, you didn't pay me. I did the show. It worked out well. They were using the tape for some kind of promo or whatever. I'm like, I'm not going to post it. I just want to show it to my girlfriend. And they wouldn't give me the tape. And then I found out about historical roasts about the same time. And then but I found out because they called me and asked me to be in the audience. They mm -hmm. were like, do you want to come sit in the audience of the historical roast? And I'm like, you guys are doing a character-based roasting show and you didn't even think to yeah. consult me. And then I found out the people that did write on it. And I'm like, I'm the only person that's ever done a character successfully in this show. And you guys didn't even think like, hey, maybe, maybe you'd have some insight, yeah, maybe or even, some expertise, or maybe yeah, you'd hey, be funny on it. You want to yeah. come write with us? Or do you want to write for this person or anything? You know, or like, hey, do you want to consult? You know, like, do you have any advice for the characters? Do you have mm. any like, you know, anything to kind of help people? Nothing. Like, it was just, I, I heard nothing until they were like, come sit in the audience. And I was like, fuck off. Um, I was just, I was so offended by that. And then, um, and then again with the season three thing, they hired me for one show. I showed up, I found a way to work my way into the show. I said that I owned the theater mm. I bought the theater and that I bought my own microphone and that that's why I was there. And I had like a harem of women with me or whatever. And then they ended up, um, the, the comedy central people, everybody was like, they were like, you were, you were hilarious. You're great. They brought me back for the rest of the week. And uh, they told me to come with the judges. They're like, don't don't come with the rest of the comics. Just come later with the judges or whatever. And mm. and it was great. It was like this really like great feeling of accomplishment. I was like, I was like, oh okay. So they hired me for one show, and I proved myself. And I was like, maybe this will turn into something. And again, it was uh, it, you know, you know, nothing came from it. But it was um, it was it was one of those cool kind of like, I did I. You I performed. did, but they didn't think that I could do. Right, you know, like they didn't think I could do this. They believed that that there was no room for me in the show, and I, I, and I, I, I did that. So like, there's those kinds of wins, and then there's, yeah. and then there's, you know, the losses. Of well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not that deep in the game, but I mean, when I was going through my uh, eight and zero run, and people were treating me like I was on my way up. Yeah, and then I challenged you. By the yeah, way, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember. I should have accepted. Yeah. Uh, I would have done things way differently if I could do it all over again. Yeah, me you know, too. I, yeah. It, it was just not. I wasn't. I wasn't aware of the long term. Yeah, you know, benefits of it. Really, yeah. uh, I did kind of what you did. I used it to make friends, which yeah. was great. But then I started winning. 
Yeah. And then my mentality changed. Like, oh, yeah. I want to win. I want to be highly ranked. I want to be on the Comedy yeah. Central show. Yeah. This is my ticket out of out of the open mic scene. Yeah. Really. Is Sadly, I, winning isn't really, nobody remembers who wins. Like, yeah. that's the thing is people take it really seriously and get competitive, but nobody remembers who wins or loses. They all just remember if it was good or not. You know, they go, yeah. I liked him or I didn't like him. Or they might remember a joke or something, but nobody. Yeah. Remembers. Well, I'm getting like yeah. humbled my ass off, you know, five losses in a row where now like people are telling me like, don't worry about it. Like you're yeah. too focused on that. Just yeah. But it's hard to not be when you went when you were used to winning and yeah. suddenly you're not. Yeah, I remember and, my last battle. Um, I lost one that I didn't feel like I should have lost, and I was like, "Fuck this!" And and I and I'm like, "Why did I care?" I was, you know, I don't know why. But yeah, there's there's a weird ego part of it that it gets is, involved. It's competition, but also the people that they pick for the TV show. I've seen them. I've seen them put people on that battled once, mm -hmm. you know, and then they put Just them on they the TV got a show. Good, like whatever persona or something. Because they were a girl or yeah, because they were too. cute or I don't know. God knows how how the, the casting works. I have no idea because. Yeah, it has a lot to do with that. Like, oh, they'll look out yeah. on camera. Oh, they they're, they got a thing yeah. and let's put them on camera and I'm just like, whatever. I, I know that when I was young, I had a lot of it, like where people would like pick me out and and I, I just kind of assumed it would always happen. You know, like I remember one time I was when I was like 16, I was doing extra work on they were filming a show at my school and they picked me out of the crowd out of like I was I was supposed to be in like an, an event watching like a track and field event or whatever at a high school, which, you know, was they were filming at my high school. And then the director pulled me out of the audience and he's like, hey, we want you to be the guy who runs in the track race against the lead mm. and i was like okay cool i'm huh. like as long as i get to miss class this sounds fine, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. and they were like the school will let you take the time off as long as we donate the money to the school and i was like cool and then like you know later on it happened a few other times where people were like you have a star quality you're gonna make it and i had a lot of people telling me stuff but i was afraid to move to la until i was by the time i got here it was like you know i should have taken more opportunities i should have seized more i should have i should have been willing to do like willing to you know, maybe hurt more people or maybe, you know, be, step on more toes. Stems. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, I, I, dude. I mean, I don't know. I hope that's not I the, I hope that's, that's not, not the true. winning yeah. solution. Do you know, do you know a guy named Joseph? This other comic? Mm -mm, I don't think so. He, he and I were talking the other day just about like, you can't think that there's a way, right? You got to yeah. find your way and yeah. that might take a while and everybody's like wants what they've seen somebody else get, but you yeah. don't know what other people that you don't see are getting and maybe yeah. it's better. Yeah, there's you an know? old there's an old uh, Taoist saying of, um, I think it was a farmer, if I remember right, where like, um, uh, so like this guy is a farmer and then um, one day like, uh, you know, his, his uh, kid breaks his leg and then the neighbor goes, oh, that's so bad that your kid broke his leg or whatever. And he's like, who knows what's good and what's bad. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, the army comes through and they go, we're recruiting all able-bodied men to go to war. And they didn't recruit his son because he you broke, know, his didn't broke his leg. So then the neighbor comes over and he goes, how great that, you know, that uh, your son's leg is broken or whatever. And he's like, who knows what's good and what's bad. And it goes on, you know, it's like every, every, everything, you know, something bad happens or something perceivably bad happens. And then the neighbor goes, that's bad. And then the guy goes, who knows what's good and what's bad. And then it turns out to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, um, so you never know, like you never know what curses were actually blessings yeah. and what blessings were. Well, actually that's something curses. you know. I mean, I, I gotta. We're we're at the forty five minute mark, so we gotta steer <laughs> we this back anything to about animals. Animals, I uh, know. So sorry. just by coincidence, I got I was on an interview today, and yeah. it's for a different veterinary job. So right now I'm a teacher. I teach a veterinary class. Okay. I got offered a job where I'd be doing doggy dental. It's basically uh, dental work. Yeah. So is it's that like, better? Is that a step up? It's better pay, uh -huh. a way worse schedule. Uh -huh. So it's like um, something my wife and I were talking about. Like, yeah. what, what, how do you make choices like that? Yeah. Like I'll make uh, I'll significantly more, yeah. but have a significantly worse schedule. 
Is there uh, any way that the schedule could change in time? Like it could be, but yeah. you know that's what they say. You never yeah. know. You can't just believe people. Yeah. Could you go back if you made? Uh, if you I'm did, sure if you regretted it, I'm sure that I that my school would take me back. But it's a risk, right? Yeah. It's a risk. So like yeah. right now, I'm comfortable. Everything's fine. Yeah. I could take a risk and take this other job where I'll potentially, and like as a teacher, you're very ceilinged, right? You yeah. can't. You're never gonna make a lot of money. Yeah. The other job, you know, he's a growing business. You could sure. make more money. You get in bed with somebody who's yeah. got a growing business. You could take off with them. Yeah, potential. So, yeah. And so then it's like, man, you you never know, like what what m decisions you make are gonna benefit you or hurt you in the end. And yeah. there's no way to fucking know. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. You gotta like well, meditate or pray or yeah. ask your wife or yeah. ask mentors like, what should I do? What should I do? But in the end, it's up to you. That's why you need a circle of friends. That's why you need like a good entourage or like a circle of tight people. I had that. And then when I came here, all of a sudden I lost that. And then that's why all these like bad decisions, like it's like, why did Cena start making so many bad decisions after he moved to LA? And it's like, oh, because I lost all my friends. I lost all the people that were close to me, the people yeah. that I would call when I had a question. That's sad, you know? and what it is. It really is because you need to balance an idea. When you're in the eye of a storm, you have no uh, like perception of, of what things are outside of it. And mm -hmm. you think you're making sane decisions and i look back on so many like forks in the road where i'm like i should have gone left if there was someone good in my life at the time they would have said something you know yeah. or somebody would have you know well um, see man yeah. i, I kind of have a good oh, i've been through this before so even like my friends in comedy right now that i call my friends in comedy like i don't even let them in like yeah. i used to like i got a friend caesar caesar is yeah. my friend caesar i talk to caesar I hang out with yeah but it's because his baby's mama his girlfriend is friends with my wife yeah and then the other person i talk to a lot is tony bartoloni yeah. tony I bartoloni and i are like because he's a fucking sweetheart yeah. he'll never hurt me yeah exactly so it's like and i don't know if that's a good motor you know is that a good reason I've, I've had those thoughts too before where i'm like like i dated a girl because i was like i don't i'm only dating her because i think she won't cheat on me you yeah know? because i'm like i was like i was like well at least she won't cheat on me yeah <laughs> Which is kind of fucked up, yeah. but it's not your fault. It's yeah, like you're you're a victim. You're right? you're traumatized. Right. Yeah. You're you have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Like I I remember. Um. Like a lot of like so what you said with what with uh your bringer show the the Brian guy or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. I had something similar happen with. Um. So like, kind of right before all of this happened. Um. I uh um I was doing this show. So my the guy who got me into comedy, my mentor, the guy that. I that taught me everything I knew before I moved here. He was having his 40th birthday and his wife called me and said, we would love to have you show up as a surprise for his 40th birthday. And I was, it, no to see him for oh, the birthday. Oh, sure, she, okay. She's like, we'll fly you out, you know, whatever. But she's like, he'd really like to see you. And it's, it's his 40th birthday. And, you know, at this point I'd only been in LA for a few years for maybe like two or three years. And, um, and I was like, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And I was like, I'll tell you what, um, at that point I was a pretty good draw. I haven't been back to Salt Lake in a while, but I was a pretty good draw. Like I could sell out the comedy club and, and make like two grand or something nice. on a door deal or something. And, um, and I was like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to promote and book out a show on his birthday or around his birthday. And, um, I'm going to promote it as a secret I, I called it the super secret comedy show. And mm -hmm. I was like, don't tell Trent. And I deleted him as a friend on Facebook and everything. So he wouldn't see anything. So he wouldn't see anything. I blocked him. He's he's not technologically, so he wouldn't notice. He wouldn't you know? notice, like, he, yeah. sure. <laughs> and, um, and so I started promoting it. And I was like, don't tell Trent. We're doing a comedy show as a surprise, you know, whatever. 
And so uh, I show up there at his birthday. We're up in Park City, or I'm sorry, at Snowbird. And they made a big box with a bow and everything. And I jumped out of it and I was wow. like, surprise. And it was a, it was a great, Hell great yeah. thing. And then I was like, and guess what? You're headlining Wise Guys tomorrow. <laughs> he was like, he's like, what? And I was like, I was like, yeah. I'm like, are you still doing comedy, right? And he's like, not as much anymore. And I was like, well, if you want, we can co-headline. He's like, I'll, he's like, I'll do a spot, but. And so, like, I ended up headlining it, but I gave him the money. I was like, that's my gift to you. You know, it was, you know, like awesome. six or 700 bucks or something like that. And I was, and he needed it at the time. And, um, and that was my gift. I came back to LA and I see on my, on my, on my feed, someone is promoting the super secret comedy show. And I'm like, Someone else is doing a super secret comedy show. Here in LA, right? Yeah. yeah. So I messaged the guy, or, or no, he messaged me and he's like, Do you want to do this show? And I'm like, Yeah, I, I should. I it's named mine. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, He's like, Yeah, I saw you promoting that. And he and I was like, Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, who cares? You know, keep the name. And um, and I was like, But if you're gonna do it, you know, like maybe do it this way or whatever. And then um, and then we did the show and I brought a lot of people and I promoted it. And I was dating a girl who was a writer for some newspaper magazine or something at the time, and she was like crazy about me. I wasn't that into her but she she came and she wrote an article on me at the show and then they used that article to promote the show and then they started getting bigger comics and then they stopped booking me on the show i remember <laughs> the super secret like, show who puts yeah, that one on it's uh fuck, i can't remember his name anymore um he, he went on and became successful and that was the stupid thing is is that was the first thing he ever did like that was his first stand-up experience wow. ever and he did it and then he blew up and wow. then now he became like a road comic and he, he started opening for all these big comics and I got nothing out of it. The, the one thing I did get out of it is one of my, um, I did ask him for a favor uh, a few years later after he'd become successful. Um, my friend's wife got diagnosed with cancer and I was like, he's a bus boy at, my at the restaurant I work at and his wife's going through chemo and all this stuff. And mm. I was like, can we do like a, some kind of benefit, you know, Very benefit like, show. would you just let me use the stage? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get the comics and I'll, you know, we, we have some, you know, like, uh, Marcella, um, oh shit, what's her last name? Um, well, we had a, a, like a bunch of great comics, like Jesus and I, I can't remember, but all these really sweet people came and, um, and, uh, and did the show for us. And it was, it was really fun. And we did make some money for them, which was nice. Um, so I, so, you know, all being said, that was, that was a yeah, good experience shit, overall, but Make yeah, but it was we should do more shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it feels good to do that kind of stuff, but again, you know, it's like, it's weird that I'm like asking a favor of somebody who kind of owes me. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, like, it all right. turns around like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's weird and roast battle, I'll do that to you too. Like where people that used to want to be around you yeah and you start losing and now suddenly like they don't return your messages it's or not even losing ghost you in the hallways and it's just like dude what the fuck is that about dude, i used to throw a party after every show i called it the post roast and i would cook for everybody i would stock my fridge with beer i would stock my liquor cabinet with like mid-level scotch and tequila and vodka like i would party. i would spend 500 to a thousand dollars a week on these parties wow. um at this point and this was like 2014 2015 and i did it because I wanted to make friends and yeah, I was like, this is a really special thing. You're and building these bonds. Yeah. And I'm like, these, these, these guys are all really talented. I really like them. Mm -hmm. I'm not a really big hanger out at the club kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And this was, I would always do it at like two in the morning, like after the club closed down anyway, I'm like, everyone, you can come to my place. And, and I started like an email list and I would do like, like I would make like nachos for everybody or like do like Damn. a 24 hour slow pulled pork sandwich recipe and stuff like I would, and I would go out and buy like, 
bags of chips. I go to Costco and just go nuts. And Fucking, and it would, yeah. I'd have the place all set up. And uh, the first couple of weeks it was just you know like twenty of us or whatever. And then we started throwing like I, I had like Olivia and Keith's birthdays there, and oh, I bought wow. them a cake, and I you know had them inscribe the cake. It's about a fucking ton of money on this, wow. and put a big firework in it and stuff like that that I stole from my work and all this wow. stuff. And uh, and I, there's pictures of it. There's someone Willie Hunter just posted a picture of the one we did for Keith, and I just found the other one that I did for Olivia. And I did all these things, and I was thinking like I'm making friends out of this. The minute I stopped throwing those parties, nobody was like, hey, man, how you been? You know, like mm. nobody checked in with me. Hey, are you doing all right? You know, like we haven't been there in a while. People would just be like, hey, you should throw your parties again. And I'm like, yeah, the last one I did was my birthday. And there was like 80 people in my living room. And I hid in my room the whole time because I didn't know any. Like I literally was t talking to a guy who was like eating Cheetos and spilling food on the floor and I'm picking it up in front of him <laughs> as he's doing it and he goes so uh, so so how, who do you know here and I'm like this oh, is my, my place fucking house. yeah and I'm like I'm like it's nice to meet you this is my place and he's like oh cool and I remember like the countertop got broken that night and because oh, someone was I had left bottle openers all over the house but somebody decided to, to crack a bottle off the and edge of the counter and broke it yeah and I just remember sitting in my room the whole night like just with my girlfriend just going like i just want this to end like i'm not going to do this anymore uh these people don't appreciate me and they don't care right and and it was true like after we stopped they it has nothing to do with winning and losing man it's just people it's people people want to be around someone told me once that a star is someone everyone wants to be friends with like that that's what that x factor is or that star quality is and it's and there's something about that that you can control like there's something about that where you can kind of you can walk out of your house and go I am feeling like the way we used to describe it in improv is like, I feel sexy. I feel like I want eyes on me. I want people. Mm -hmm. You can That's leave a your, star quality. Yeah. Well, you can leave your house and you have that control over it where you can add that energy where you go, I want to engage with people. I want people to engage with me. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be ignored. I want everyone to love me and pay attention to me. And if you have that mentality, when you walk out of your house, you'll find that people are kind of drawn to you. Sure. And if you do that before you go on stage and you kind of do those poses where you yeah, stand like Superman, Superman. Yeah, exactly. get that positive energy, exactly. picture yourself really big and all that, that shit. That changes the way you feel and it changes the way you come across. Right. And that comes off as star quality right. or stage presence or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's only- Turn it up a bit. Oh, like, oh yeah. It just like fades. Yeah, but there's only so much there's only so much you can do that before you kind of get traumatized and you go everybody yeah. that I've invited in has done something to make me regret it. So it's almost like you're you're yeah. faking it. You're putting yeah. on airs and then it backfires. Yeah. And that's what I found too. I made all these friends and I like like fast dating, you're suddenly in a relationship with somebody that you don't know. Yeah. And then they dick you over and it's kind of like, well, that was kind of my fault. I relied on somebody that I'd known for 6 months. Yeah. And just because we hung out at shows, mm -hmm. we never like I don't know anything about you really. Yeah. And I had girlfriends like that, yeah. man. It really fucked me up. Yeah, I've had uh, that Because too. I was like, you know, getting attached in the wrong places. Girls are extra hard it. because I'm you- I'm doing it on purpose to yeah. myself. I was like, I'm just so lonely. I will accept this huge risk. Yeah. Well, so like after my after my 30s, uh, and and my friend, when he turned 40, I remember because he, he'd had kids and was married and everything. And I'm like, I was like, I'm not going to make any friends, male friends in my thirties. I'm like, I just don't, I don't see that happening. Right. I don't see, I don't see myself Go making on. any single male friends that aren't married or that are accessible that I could like, you know, run stuff by and talk to or whatever. So I was like, I'm just going to have to find myself like a girlfriend or a wife, you know, mm. like I'm going to have to, hey, I'm like, solid I'm gonna, logic. yeah, I'm like, mm. I'm like, at this, I'm at this point in my life where if I'm going to have to have, if I want to have somebody in my life that I can kind of be ha have be my person where i can just go to and ask questions and like ask advice and share in this experience with 
I'm like, it's going to have to be a girl. And so like, but then when you have that mentality, then you yeah. start putting pressure on people. Yeah. Like, like you meet someone and you're the like, desperation yeah, is stinky. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you attract the wrong people. I'm in that situation all the time, like where I, I attract people that are super clingy because I'm super like open and, and, and like, I don't, I, I just say yes to everything. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's go, let's go there. Let's go do this and whatever. And, um, and uh, yeah, I get, I get easily like, wrapped up in stuff and then i realized oh i'm super invested in something and this person it's like this is like secondary for them or this is like you know not a big deal like yeah. they can walk away but it hurts for me now you know hey so. man i got tired of that and then it went the other way too man i was like going the other way where a girl would be really attached to me and i didn't like her yeah it's happened too yeah. i would be attached to her she didn't like me yeah. like that like writer chick was like that yeah fucking rotation of just like yeah and now I've wasted all this time. Yeah. All this time that I could have been yeah. with, you know, doing comedy or building relationships with at least comics. Yeah. Uh, and now, like, I'm telling you, I have, like, a group of comics right now that I talk to, but the the average age out of them is, like, 25. Yeah. And I'm 36. Yeah. So there's a ton of shit that they don't even invite me to. You're 36? Well, 30 like fucking six. Wow, yeah. I would have never guessed. I thought you were way younger than me. Oh, man, I'm fucking old. Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't... First of all, I'm, like, at that stage where my friends stopped inviting me because I... Mm kept not going yeah right? they would invite me and i wouldn't go they'd invite yeah. me i wouldn't go so now they don't invite me and it yeah. kind of hurts but it's like well i did that to myself yeah and in reality had they invited me i probably wouldn't have gone yeah exactly but there are some things that they do that i would have done like yeah. they go to tapings and they go to shows yeah. and they go support each other's shows yeah and like no one even told me it's that there was of, a show you need one with the yeah. you can't have one without the other right, kind of right a thing. and that's yeah. what i keep telling my wife she's like how come they don't invite you i was like because we don't go to anything yeah because we I, don't hang out we go to shows yeah. i do my set and then i fuck off and go home yeah i, I sit here and bitch and moan about it but yeah i I get invited to parties and shit like I, I, I got invited to something like for Christmas and I didn't go right. you know and like I got you I know. got invited to a party uh, uh, what's that guy's name Jordan Jordan Pearson I think his name is the the, the celebrity speaker guy no uh, no not Jordan Peterson his name is he's a black dude Jordan uh I can't remember, but anyway, they invited me to his party. Yeah, I don't know why I can't think of anybody's name right now either. <laughs> we we went, we even went, my wife and I, we went, we pulled up in front, we looked at each other and we're like, no. I've done that before too. <laughs> I've done that at Roast Battle. Like I've gone, I've gone all the way in, like I did this last week at Roast Battle. I got myself all dressed up and like I was all ready to go showered and everything. And I remember Moses texting me, he was like, we're going to start a little early tonight because Chappelle's doing a midnight show or something. And I was like, uh, and I looked at my watch and I was like, I'm just going to miss. I'm like, I was in costume and everything. I could have just left the house, but I was like, I just, I, I just talked myself out of it. I'm like, let's just, li let's click leave while we're on top. <laughs> you know, like I'd rather, I don't know. There's just something about me that just, I'd rather stay home and get stoned and play video games. Oh, than, man, me uh, too. And that's like, that, I think that's okay. I really feel, okay. This is why I do the podcast because like I see comedy <laughs> window closing, yeah. right? Stand up comedy. I love it. I could do it forever. I could be an open micer forever. No sure. one gives a shit, but what is sustainable? Sustainable is something I could do from home. Something I could do when my wife is around, yeah. you know, I don't have to be us apart from her. Yeah. And as much as she likes coming to my comedy shows, there's a big chunk yeah. of me doing comedy that I'm not paying attention to her. Yeah. She's there, but it's like she's just there. Yeah. And I'm like exactly. not watching it's, her either. It's not a good. T it's not a good place to take dates. It's like, really not. I've, man. I used and to take dates to comedy she, shows. She wants to come and be supportive, but uh, I'm like. Uh, I feel bad. I feel yeah. like she's just kind of waiting. It's like you taking somebody to the DMV. They're just yeah, waiting for exactly. you to get done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, it's all about you. Yeah. And then people are like, afterwards, if say I have a good set, people want to talk to me. And yeah. People want to, you know, and pretend like they like me. Quietly and they're just standing there quietly. And they feel bad, yeah. And then I'm trying to introduce her to people. And yeah. then it's like, well, you know, this is not, it's not conducive this, to it's not, like, it's not what I need. It's right a now. selfish thing, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and it yeah, sucks, yeah. but I mean, and it's nice that people offer, but yeah. And, you know, and I don't even know what the right answers are these days, but like, yeah, you know, I just try to try to remember that 
Every time I've tried to quit comedy a bunch of times. Yeah, like, I've tried yeah, to quit. I think I've we told all have. her that I quit. Yeah. I, I just stopped telling people. I, I just now I just do yeah, it quietly. I'm like I'm done. <laughs> I'm like it's just, I'm just not telling anyone. I'm just, just and then like something will happen. Like yeah. I, I quit comedy, moved back to Indiana, and yeah. then like I, I couldn't stop. Right, so yeah. there was a show, and I went, and I did well. So they booked me for another show, and then I did well. So they booked me for another show, and then before I know it, they're booking me and booking me and booking me, and then yeah. my face is on the wall. They put my picture up on the wall. Yeah, and it's like the only comedy club in Northwest Indiana. Yeah, and I'm like okay, I'm doing something right. So then I'm like re-inspired and yeah. it's a black room. It's yeah. all black. So really? I'm like, wow. yeah. And I was like, man, I never wrote jokes yeah. for this crowd. And yeah. I didn't know that my comedy would translate, yeah. but it made me feel I've always good. wondered. I've always wondered overseas too. Like I've always, like I've done a few black rooms, but like um, there used to be a club called the Downtown Comedy Club that Garrett... Um, Oh, I can't Brad Garrett? His name. No, Garrett, uh, he was uh, on the original, he was the black guy that was an original cast of SNL. Um, I can't think of anyone's name sure, today. Yeah. Anyway, he, he he ran a tiny, it was a tiny, tiny comedy club in the sketchiest neighborhood of downtown. But he was he was great. He would give you like 30 minutes, you yeah. know, and, and there would be like four comics on the show and you'd have a crowd and it was wow. great. Um, and that was like the, the closest I ever played to a black room. But I always wondered, I mean, it was it was a black room basically, but it wasn't like the union or whatever. Mm. But I, um, I, I always wondered that and I've always wondered overseas, like people that go to like, New Zealand or Iceland or whatever. You know, I you lived know? in like, South Korea for five years. Yeah, yeah, remember that? And yeah, I was like, doing stand up over yeah, there. That's crazy. Yeah, like yeah. I think about that that kind of stuff. Like, do they do they get it? Do they, yeah, I mean, you kind of. Well, I would say like I started doing comedy in Chicago, but I didn't take it seriously. Like I was doing yeah. open mics, but I didn't know anything about comedy. Sure. Right, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Like the internet was new. Yeah, Joe Rogan didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Right, and uh, then I went to Korea, and there was a comedy show, and I just yeah. went and did an open mic. And just did way better than everybody else because they had no experience. Yeah. I had done a few shows. Yeah. So I just had jokes. Yeah. I actually had jokes that weren't Korea related. Yeah. Right? And that's what everybody else was writing about. Yeah. But I, I started writing like for my audience and yeah. then I started doing a lot better. So it's yeah. like, it's just like everything. Else. You have to be able to write a joke for the audience. Yeah, And it's exactly. all military and teachers. Yeah. So all my jokes were teacher jokes and military jokes, traveling jokes, the difference between America and Korea jokes. Yeah. And it worked. But then when I came back to Chicago, those jokes didn't work. Yeah. As soon as I'm in the Midwest and you tell people about your travels. Yeah. They, they, they don't travel. Yeah. No. So yeah. it's almost like you're insulting them. Yeah. I've done this and I've done this and I've done that. And you're you bragging. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't like it. Yeah. LA is different. You could tell jokes about traveling. You could tell jokes about- Because no one's in, from here. Yeah. Everyone, right. Everyone's They've done a it traveler. too. And yeah. people know what a Korean is here. Yeah. You know yeah. What that's I mean? true. Yeah. When I first moved here, I remember I started having like really severe stage fright because I'd never been around the diversity that mm. is out here. And I'm like, am I- are the jokes that I'm making insensitive or race or racist? Because like <laughs> on the road, I spent six years driving just about every city between the Midwest and the West. And, um, and I mean, just hundreds of thousands of miles. And I did, but in those cities, in those, in these small towns, like towns with like populations of like 200 people, like, like triple runs and, wow. and comedy express runs in the Midwest and, 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 you know, entertainment max in the Southwest, just these small little, bars that you would never visit but also the whole town shows up when you're there because that's the only entertainment in town there's that's no it. movie theater or anything wow. like you're the yeah. only entertainment so like i remember i'll be in idaho population 248 and i'm going in there going like if the whole town shows up we got a show right. and the whole right. town did show up it was wow. in a big tent it was in a yurt and, and the whole town shows up because there's nothing else to do sure, it's awesome and then we get off stage and we're like, I'm hungry. And they're like, there's nothing open because every cook and everybody is they're here. here. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. But yeah, but in on the, in those <laughs> towns, 
I I was everything from Arab to Indian to uh you know uh, Pakistani, Pakistani yeah, yeah exactly whatever, yeah. yeah whatever it was for the sake of the joke I could do the accent <laughs> or I could do or I could just play it off and that's what it was and then I came to LA and I was like oh shit what's an Armenian you know and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I was like oh shit there's a real Indian on the on, yeah. the on the show tonight like should I not do that accent you know, like is <laughs> no. that is that racist and I just started having these severe panic attacks also a lot of my material had been stolen so when MySpace first came around. I uploaded like every video, like every week I would upload, like I would, I would tape every set from the road and then I would take out like 15 minutes of it or 10 minutes of it and put it online wow. on my MySpace page. And MySpace came out with MySpace comedians. At first it was just, it was just MySpace. Then it had MySpace music. Yeah. And then that became popular. So did, and so comedians were making music pages. Mm -hmm. Then, um, uh, I made a, a comedy page when they made when they started doing comedy and then they started doing rankings and I was in like the top 50 rankings of like MySpace wow. comedians I had a lot I had a big following when back in like 2005 days, 2006 huh? that's yeah. awesome I had yeah. a good yeah I, I just kind of burned out on it before um, Facebook and Twitter took off but um, uh, but I remember I came to LA and a bunch of my jokes were being told. I was like, you know, I'd be at like a show either bartending or or watching or whatever and I would hear like chunks of my material being Damn. done by other Persian comics and stuff. That's crazy. And I'd be like, hey dude, did you steal that from my, and like straight up, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like I Googled Persian comedy and you know, that yeah, I figured you were in Utah. You know? So like, and I'm like, and I'm like, so, so you're yeah. going to stop doing it? And they're like, well, how about we just agree if we're on the same show, you know, like we'll just talk before the show and figure out who's going to do what. Bits. And I'm like, dude, I found out that dude was making like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year with awesome, my act. And then people started commenting. So I took all those videos down. Um, because people were starting to comment on him saying that I stole them from him. So, um, and, and they'd been online, you know, since 2004 or something like that, 2005. So I took a bunch of stuff down and, and like Lewis Black's manager was a really nice mentor to me. I asked her a lot of questions and she's like, if it's not recorded on like Comedy Central or whatever, don't post online. She's like, you're just going to get your shit stolen. She's like, it doesn't help you get booked to have a bunch of stuff online. Dude, somebody it's, told me that recently and it bummed me out because I had put all my videos yeah, on, I had hours. on YouTube. I yeah. had two hours of material online. Dude, I had that got 60 stolen. videos on YouTube. Now yeah. I have like four. Yeah. I took them all down that don't have like either a lot of views or very high quality. Yeah, keep keep um, festival submission videos, you know, like so I have like two eight minute videos or seven minute yeah. videos for like festival submissions mm. and stuff that are fairly clean and then take everything else down. I did. Yeah. I did that actually as of recently because uh, number one, I applied for this new job and I knew yeah. they were going to do some research. That's another thing. Uh, they actually contacted me through this podcast because it's a pet health podcast. Oh, yeah. They found me through that oh, and look at that. asked me if I was interested in this position. So it worked out for you. It fucking works, dude. This is why I'm going to keep doing Maybe it's a sign it. you should take the job. Yeah, maybe that's... Uh, you know. I, I want to. I really do. And I mean, the, here's the thing. I mean, I do want to get back to the animal part. Uh, but I, I just don't know if it's like the right move because it's all, it's like a money move. It's well, really a money move. Dude. Who knows what's good and who's bad? Nobody bad, fucking you know? knows. Dude. And I'm just terrified. I'm terrified yeah. because the job I have now, they brought me back to LA. They yeah. called me when I was in Indiana. Hey, we want you to come back. Yeah. The school really liked you. The students really loved you. The teacher that's here got pregnant. We yeah. want you to come back. Can you put a price on being wanted? You know, like, no, on, like man. And to have, somewhere. And the, right now as a teacher, I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off every weekend yeah friday saturday sunday off every week yeah every week i have a four-day week i do four tens yeah nobody else is gonna offer me that yeah nobody else anywhere else i'm gonna have to work on the fucking weekend yeah and as a comic man having weekends off even though i i get booked maybe twice a month these sure. days 
on a, somebody's shitty show. No offense to you guys that book me, but your shows <laughs> in a bar suck. Yeah. Um, if there's, they, you they know, know, it's not your fault that your show sucks. It's comedy's the world's fault. I well, guess. it's spread. The world's spread thin. This is an entertainment city, and there's ten shows going on every night. Yeah. You know, and it's like how many people are gonna, you know? Yeah, I went it, to this last show, and I'm not gonna mention any names, but like I didn't even bring my wife, and I could tell they were upset. Like yeah. it's a bringer show, but they don't call it a bringer show. Yeah. So if you bring nobody, they don't say yeah. they're mad at you, but they're mad at you. Yeah, exactly. And especially if you don't kill. You don't bring anybody and you didn't kill. Yeah, and they're never booking you again. Or whatever, yeah. They're never booking you again. Yeah. Even if they like you, even yeah. if they pretend to be your friend. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Uh, and I learned that a long time ago. Like, if you don't fucking murder or you have credits or yeah. you have a bunch of Twitter followers, yeah. blah, 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 you're going to get one shot at these these shows because yeah. everybody's trying to make friends with people that think that they think are better than them. Yeah. So if they think they're better than you, yeah. they're not going to want to fuck with you. Exactly. And, and it's like, and then if they think you're better than them, then you got the other side, the people that are like, you know, jealous or jealous. Jealous. upset. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Upset that they, that you're funny. Yeah. People have told me they're like, they're like, there's such thing as too good. They're like, if you're not a headliner, like if, cause like I was headlining when I was doing the road and then I came to LA and it's like, nobody wants to hire a headliner to be their opening act. Yeah, dude, I think know, I made like, the same mistake. I told people, oh, I was headlining in Korea. Yeah. We were touring and I was headlining. I was yeah. doing 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Easy. 45 yeah. minutes, I average, sure. But I do yeah. 50, 60, 65. If I'm yeah. drunk, I'll do yeah. an hour and a half. I, I headline clubs and bars and colleges and, and I did a lot of corporate events and stuff like that. Hour. But I recorded my album. Yeah, I put it I, on the internet. Yeah. I got a bunch of views. Still nobody will book me as a headliner yeah. in LA. Yeah. And the, that's the weird thing too is they won't even book you as an opener no. because you're now, they, they would much rather have like a young kid who's coming up who has like 20 minutes of material mm. again because they don't want to be you know, outshined or they don't want to, you know, it's, I don't know. There is, there is chances. Thing, yeah, there is such thing as too good. It's not, it's, it's totally the opposite of every other industry. Like if you were a vet and you were like a really good vet, great vet a lot of experience, that would resume. Be, yeah. You'd get the fucking job. You wouldn't, yeah. No one would be like, the new you, guy they would be like, you're anything. too young rather than you're too, you know, like you have too experienced. It would be the opposite. But, um, Anyway, yeah, speaking of all of this questions. isolation and whatever, I did, I signed up for a pet sitting app, actually. That's, oh, shit. Yeah, to transition into the pet sitting. Yeah, so like, um, because because I felt like so isolated and lonely and all the girls that I kept dating were just kind of toxic and, and, and abusive and whatever, I, I just seemed to kind of attract that or at least put up with it. So um, I signed up for this, for a few of them. There was like Rover and Wag and yeah. and a few, like dog sitting apps. Right, I'm allergic right. to cats. Dog so. walking, dog sitting. Yeah, I, I figured, I mean, dog walking to me just seemed like a waste of time. Like, I don't know, I don't know what it pays, but I just like, I'm like, I've driving somewhere just to walk someone's dog and walk. you'll get like 10 bucks and then yeah. maybe if they tip you you'll get like 12 bucks maybe. for walking a dog for 30 minutes but then you yeah. got a 30 minute drive exactly back. yeah if it was in my neighborhood or something and I, i've told the people in my neighborhood you know that have dogs i'm like hey, if you ever want a dog sitter i'm happy to do it for free i'm gonna get I, another beer you, you, you want to knock yourself out yeah water? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell a story while you do <laughs> but anyway yeah so like i signed up for this um i signed up for this app and it's like you get like 20 bucks a day, something like that to like dog sit. That's like the minimum. I Because I didn't want to do it for money. I didn't want to like lose jobs because of money. So I was like, I'll just put the minimum rate because I just want the company. You know, I just want to just want to have someone around the house that actually is excited to see me when I come. Doesn't home. lie. And- yeah. Yeah. Doesn't treat me like shit. <laughs> yeah. It actually likes me that, you know. Yeah. And um, that I that yeah, I, know I love is my fucking dog. I love my dog. Yeah, and it's not even my dog. It's my wife's dog, but I'm, it's my best friend. They're my spirit animal, man. I swear to God, like if you think about like, I feel like I'm like. If I was an animal, I'd be like a pit bull puppy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to like a dangerous extent, you know, like I'm, I'm fiercely loyal. I'm kind of dumb and I'm really like, just 
like I just I'm very simple like I'm not I'm not a complicated person like I'm very like I mean I'm like you know know, every time I've hung out with you or talked to you it's always been very like calm and like a good conversation and I don't know if you remember but I went to one of your bringer shows a long time ago I brought my girlfriend like I had a girlfriend at the time and we came to see you and you're fucking super funny and then uh, you know then I learned that you had the success in Sundance and then I learned that you were doing the roast battle and doing well and beating good comics oh we didn't meet at roast battle no we met I don't remember how we met I just remember somehow we met and you invited me to your bringer show and I came well thank you I think we met at Flappers or some shit I can't remember like we just met You invited me to a show. That's and really I nice came. of you. Thank you yeah, for doing that. I'm sorry for not being for for focusing. Here's the funny uh-huh. thing: is like, like if you're at a if you're watching if you're a performer and you mm. see a, a crowd and everyone's laughing but one person's not laughing, that's, that's the person see. you focus on. Or if someone comes up to you after a show and like a hundred people say you were great, but then one person goes, you know, that was really offensive or whatever. Yeah. That's the one that's that stays remember. with you for ten years or whatever. That's kind of how it is with like you focus on like the bringer shows where nobody came or you focus on the show. No, the one I came to, you you were not happy because not a lot of people showed up. Really? Yeah, it was one of those shows. And I don't know if it was the birthday show. It could have been. You said you invited like a lot of people. Yeah, but nobody came to not even one person came to that one. Yeah. Yeah. That was it, like pig and whistle or whatever. The the show I had for my birthday, uh, because it was other comics on the show, people came to see them, but to see me, zero people. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, people were in the crowd. Oh, same situation. Not for me. Right. Same situation. And then the booker said to me, say he was like what happened? I'm like, dude, I don't fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, they, I'm like, dude, you uh, I don't, don't know. Think, you don't think I have bigger <laughs> yeah, problems yeah. right now than your show? Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know I'm, what happened, but I'm gonna go home and little loneliest little my boy. whole life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I rethink. But that show I went to, there wasn't a lot of people in the crowd. I remember you like, because I went up to you after. I was, oh, you're really funny, but I could tell you were bummed. Yeah, because it was in the belly room. And we sat on like the side, but yeah. the, in the middle of the room, there weren't that. It was probably 12 people. Huh. You know what I mean? I wonder when this was. Um, do you remember what year this was? I wonder I mean, if this was I before a, or after I quit. I have a picture. Yeah. I have That's a picture crazy. of you. That's so from, crazy. Like I was in the audience and I think I sent it to you. That's amazing. Yeah, man. I sent it to you. That I makes, me, that my, makes uh, me so happy. I'll tell you what, I've, I've gone through a rough few years where I've like, like I've been rethinking and redoing a lot of stuff. And I've really like... I'm kind of ashamed of the things that I've forgotten and I'm really kind of upset about the things that I dwell on and that I remembered. Um, it's, it's a lot of, it's just depression, man. Like it's focusing on, focusing on the loss and not the wins. And, you know, it's just kind of the, the, the prism in which you see life through. Um, it's, I mean, it's almost like animals too, you know, I mean, I'm trying to keep, you know, bringing it back, but it's like, like, a, why is a puppy so happy? You know, like, why are dogs so happy? And it's September because September 11th, 2015. 2015. That was yeah, right when I started back up again. That's so funny. Isn't that crazy? Thanks, man. Yeah. That's so sweet. And I remember that bit. I know a bit you're, I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And you were really fucking funny, man. Like, Thanks, I, man. No bullshit. You were really, really funny. Yeah. That's the one thing is like, I've, I've never, after like 10 years in, I stopped having that doubt of like maybe you're not funny you know like Mm -hmm. after 10 years or so i'm like okay so i know i'm funny i know i'm i know that i can do the job because like 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 when you first start waiting tables like Mm -hmm. i i i I started working at like an olive garden type restaurant or whatever and there were people that have been working there for like five or six years that really knew their shit i remember the first time i someone bought a bottle of wine i just set it on the table like i didn't know (laughs) i didn't even open it like i just left it on the the table and i left the wine key and i was like and like they were like what are you doing and i'm like I don't know. The guy wanted a bottle of wine. I left him, you know, and they were like, dude, you're supposed to open it and pour it. And I was like, I don't, I don't <laughs> no know. No one told me. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, no one taught me this shit. And then like, you know, you're also the first time you talk to a table. You're like, I don't know how to talk. Like, I don't know how to take an order. I don't yeah. know what I'm supposed to write down. I don't, I don't know, know yeah. what order to do all this stuff. No, and a, I don't know when to interrupt you. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it's a, and then, there's a hard job. And then after a while you go, 
I, you can put me in any restaurant and I know how to wait. Because then, yeah, yeah. then you get, you know, you work in fine dining and then you work in different kinds of yeah, that's how cafes am, and stuff. That's how I am in, as a veterinary technician. Yeah. I could work in any fucking, because I've worked yeah. in so many. Exactly. Yeah, and I've worked Once in some have. crazy busy ones with super crazy managers with high expectations. And I've worked in shitty little ones where the owner's never there and everybody's yeah. just fucking around. Yeah, there's, there's I've been restaurants. the whole fucking spectrum. I worked in restaurants where I did everything. I mm. cooked the food. I waited the tables. I did like, I did everything. Wearing all the hats. I did everything. Yeah, we're all Ducking the hats. Down changing yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually i was a cook before i became a waiter but yeah like it was i spent all this time in restaurants and now it's like you can put me in any restaurant and i feel like i could do it and like that's how i feel with stand-up or comedy mm. or improv whatever i feel like you could throw me into any you could just wake me up from a nap and put me on stage now, if only they would only pay you out. for this it yeah. would be great and like, it's funny you can find a restaurant job but you can't find a comic job when it's like there's less Dude, comics i had an agent i had an agent i was gonna ask you about yeah. that what the hell is should i get an agent is it fucking worth it um it depends depends if the agent likes you it could it could mean everything um if the agent doesn't they believe in you yeah if they believe in you if they see money when they see you then yeah so like when i first moved to la um i signed my i signed an agent really quickly like within six months or so like four months or something yeah, i signed fast, an agent yeah, yeah it's really fast like i but i was also like i hit the ground running because um, you're coming off of sundance no, this is before Sundance. Oh, okay. uh, this was like 2000. I'd had a movie at Sundance with Meryl Streep in 2007, but it never got released because it was very similar to, um, it was about an Asian kid who shot up his classmates and it was based on a true story. But then Virginia Tech happened and they were like, we're not going to release this because it's very similar. Um, but yeah, so, um, but we, yeah, we won some awards with that, but that was the only kind of big movie I'd had. And I'd done a couple of big movies, but like I'd worked with big comics on the road um but i hadn't i hadn't been to la to work and so like i came here and i just like every night i was like at the laugh factory the comedy store or something i was just i, I became a regular at the improv within a few months and and like the laugh factory you know they wanted to put me on all these shows and they promised me all this shit and then um but someone who came and saw me at my audition at the laugh factory uh he was a manager and he'd just become a junior agent at a small boutique agency and he he approached me and was like hey um i'm i'm a new agent would you want to meet you know or whatever and we met for lunch he signed me i was his only client um he didn't know what he was doing i did thank god um and this was like 2008 and he sent me on like three auditions a week like because he was just submitting me for everything he had no other you know, whatever. So he had no filter system. He was just, if you were eligible, he was sending you. Dude, I went on an audition one time for this commercial for Cheerios. Um, I show up to the audition. It's about, a, a, um, not Nacho Libre, Lucha Libre. Um, uh, Lucha Libre, the, the wrestlers, wrestlers guys with the yeah. mask. The Mexican wrestlers. Yeah, so it was uh. about a Lucha Libre guy wrestling with a kid. That was the audition or that was the, the, the spot or whatever. Sure, the scene. So, yeah, so, so I went in there and did my thing. And then I get a call from my agent and he's like, they want you back to for a callback and i'm like <laughs> and i'm like is it a callback because it doesn't say a callback on the thing and he's like no no they, they want you back there and i'm like all right so i go back to the same spot same room and i go in and i'm standing outside the room because it's locked there at lunch and there's all these um little people dwarves um i don't know what the proper that's right people, you yeah, nailed it yeah. yeah um and uh there was like eight or nine of them sitting in chairs or whatever and i'm just kind of sitting there by myself and i'm just, <laughs> like kind of looking and i'm like <laughs> What's going on? And one of them comes over to me and goes, uh, hey, man, uh, what are you here for? And I was like, I'm here for the Cheerios spot. And they were like, and they, they all kind of surrounded me. There was like a circle of like eight or nine little people. Like there's like a semicircle. I'm sitting in a chair with my back to the wall and there's like a semicircle wow. around me. And they started like 
not yelling at me, but they were upset. And they were like, do you realize what a limited uh, amount of auditions we can go on? And they were like, you could play anything. You could be a neighbor. You could be a best friend. You could. But when they have an audition for little people and you, and you show up to it, and if you took a job from one of us, blah, blah. And I was like, I didn't know... I was, was an audition my, for little people and your agent so sent I you called on my it? A, yeah, so, so the guy, so I didn't know what to do. So the casting director shows up and goes, what are you doing here? And I'm like, my agent told me to show up. And he's like, no, get out of here. And he's like, I saw you yesterday. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. So I go outside and I call my agent and he goes, it said, and I'm like, this is an audition for little people. And he's like, what? You're like five, eight, five, nine. He's like, that's not very big. I'm like, dude, little people is like little people. Like, those, like, and, and I'm like, dude, what? but he was he was enthusiastic oh, even though he didn't know anything about what he was doing and because he's sending on so many auditions i you know you book a certain number as long as you don't as long as you know vaguely what you're doing you'll mm. book a certain number of auditions just by going and showing up and um there, i mean everyone has a percentage that they book um and i had a pretty good percentage like 20 25 percent so i was booking like once or twice a month i would book like a tv show or a commercial or something and i was convinced that i'm like I'm going to be I'm going to be making a living because I'm like be, be, between the residual checks and the bookings and the road work that I was doing and everything I'm like I think I can I'm going to cuz I was making I was making $1500 a month working three jobs um waiting tables dri delivery driving and working at a bakery at the time 7 days a week um Damn. I had no and I was making $1500 a month I barely was able to survive I was living on one meal a day a lot of eggs a lot of potatoes um yeah, a lot of pasta yeah. stuff like that it was rough um and I was losing a lot of weight and uh, and I was thinking like, hey, I bet you I'm gonna make at least fifteen hundred dollars a month if I, if this keeps up for another six months or so between the residuals and the bookings. I think I'll make at least fifteen hundred dollars a month, and I can quit the restaurant jobs and I can just focus on the business, comedy and yeah. acting. Yeah. Mm. And then after like a few months and a few bookings, I just didn't hear from the dude again. And I kept following up with him, and I was like, hey man, what's going on? And um, and he's also the one who negotiated my my Sundance the Sundance movie contract, which he didn't do. I just told him what to do because he was like, they don't want to pay you. And I'm like, ask for points. And he's like, okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, uh, like a year later, Sundance rolls around, and I'm going, and I find out I'm going to Sundance, and then I tell him I fire him. It's been nine months, and I haven't heard from this guy. And I look at his roster on IMDb, and he has like forty other talent and a couple of them look like me and i remember one of them there was a show back in the day called um like uh like technical support or something it was something something to do with with being middle eastern i can't remember what it was mm, um okay. anyway um uh i remember telling him about it. i was like hey i heard about this show called you know it's whatever it was called and i was like can you submit me for it and he was like yeah i'll look into it and then i found out his other middle eastern guy went out for it and booked it uh, and i shit. was like dude i told you about the audition and then you sent your other dude out for it and i was so mad and after nine months i fired him and then he finally emails me back and he's like i've been out of town i got you an audition for paul reiser's new show and i'm like dude fuck off man i'm like nine months of nothing i've had yeah, to work at this restaurant that i hate you know and i was like i'm like i'm going to sundance i'm gonna find a new agent buzz off so i did i went to sundance and then i had agents calling and knocking um and then the one that picked me up uh just so happened to be a friend of a friend or whatever. And I was like, all right, I trust you. You seem, you know, well-intentioned. He just left ICM to start his own company, which is pretty reputable. And, um, and he's the one who got me all the big auditions, but I was also when I was homeless and super depressed. And I remember at, th at that point I had an audition with um, Levity wanted to represent me and uh, Naomi Odenkirk, who's Bob Odenkirk's wife, wanted to wow. represent me back then. But I was like- I was, Levity's the giant one, right? Levity's, Levity's giant. They weren't giant back then. They bought the improvs shortly after and I was really pissed that I didn't, 
make that work. But um, yeah, so like I remember when I took uh, when I took the restaurant job, I got, I got a different restaurant job that was gonna make me like like two grand a week. Like it was oh, like shit. a really high end restaurant, and they 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 came to the cafe I was working at. I was making like no money, like thirty dollars a day. And I waited on some of the managers there and they were like, Hey, do you want to come work with us? And I was like, dude, yeah, I would love to. Yeah, that would be great. I could work like four days a week and pay my bills. Like that'd be amazing. Um, and then my agent, when I told my agent about it, he was like, he's like, so your, your, so your, um, your waiting career is taking off and you're, and you're sacrificing your acting career for it. So you came to LA to be a waiter. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I came here to fucking work, but I need to eat. I'm like, yeah. I need to eat. I need a roof over my head. I'm not going to keep showering at the gym yeah. and then going to auditions. You think I'm going to book something that way? And I'm like, let me take this job. If you, He's like, well, how are you going to audition if you're working you know, during lunch or whatever? And I'm like, give me a couple months. Let me just save up some money. I'll quit or I'll cut down on my hours and then and then we'll go. And he's like, I'm not going to be able to get you any auditions in a couple of months. No one will remember you. And uh, wow. I check my IMDb like a week later and it says I don't have an, I don't have an agent. And I called him and I'm like, hey, did you drop me as a client? And he was like, yeah, I was meaning to call you. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, he's like, you know, the best of luck. Call you. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I thought I had an agent. I'm like, I just, so, so there's, there's two sides to the coin. I mean, there's, then the agents that I got after him, they didn't give it. Like I was like begging them to take me on. I'm like, I need to work. I need to go on auditions. I need to submit. And I would go on, like literally I counted eight auditions a year for three years. Yeah. Um, never, I could never get more, but I booked like four out of those eight. Like I booked a lot of the stuff. Uh -huh. And I was like, hey man, why don't you guys try submitting me like once a month? Like maybe I'll book more stuff. And they never would. And then when Roast Battle 3 came around and it was looking like I was going to get like, like a pretty good check um, out of it. I was like, I'm not going to give 25% of my money. By the way, I found out my manager was taking way too much. Apparently 15% is not what people pay their managers. It's like 10, right? Or less? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like I was giving my manager 15%, giving my agent 10% of the gross and that's 25%. And then another like 30, 40% goes out to taxes. And mm -hmm. I was getting like half. Yeah. And that was a lot of it was work that I was booking on my own as partic yeah. particularly roast battle. They didn't do it. You were doing all the legwork. Yeah. So, um, so, and then Moses's, um, lawyer, uh, said that he would negotiate my contract for three percent and then they were like drop your agent and we'll introduce you to new people you know they're like after this show airs we'll 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 be able to get you like meetings with bigger and better agents and i was like awesome so i dropped my agents hey it was a pleasure sorry it didn't work out thank you no response just best of luck you know or whatever mm -hmm. and then after the show airs i messaged the uh the lawyer guy and i was like hey so when should we set up these meetings? You know, let's meet some, uh, let's meet some, some agents. Mm. And they were like, Oh, um, we don't know what kind of impression you are under, but, um, we don't do that for just anybody. That's something that we do specifically for people that we work with a lot and we don't really know you. So our apologies if we, if you misunderstood what we wanted, what we meant. And I'm like, are you fucking bullshitting Damn. me? So yeah, so now I have no agents. <laughs> so, so now I have no agents, no managers other than my voiceover agent. Um, who I, I have a great voiceover agent, but, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was just it was just this kind of weird. I'm like, I don't know if it's better or worse because now I'm getting zero auditions, and it's like you can't what, just book if, your own. You could, I mean, it's just way you, harder. You could hustle. I mean, if there are, there are people that do that, um, I feel I, like that's how a lot of people start out, right? They're just kind of doing their their own because they don't really know how to get an agent or the, the benefits is, of an agent or money to pay an agent. The problem is, is there's already like hundreds, if not thousands, of agents in the city submitting hundreds, if not thousands, of actors for everything. So fucking crazy. So the fact that those people are going to be seen because they've already been vetted by the agent. So even like a bad or small agent is going to get their stuff seen before you self-submitting, you mm -hmm. know, like they would have to be really desperate to see, 
you know, to see you after, after they've seen all the agent people or whatever. But dude, I had like so many close calls. Like I was, um, I was doing chemistry tests to be in the new Milan uh, movie or whatever. Really? Yeah. I was supposed to be the dragon. They're doing two Middle Eastern guys for it. And, um, yeah, like they, they, we did a bunch of auditions and then they were doing chemistry tests to see, cause there's two of us. They wanted to see if we can like play off each other or whatever. And I, it was the, during the Weinstein stuff was going on and I made an off color joke. <laughs> and um, I forgot that Disney and Weinstein worked together. And they're friends. Huh? Yeah. So I was like, it just got really awkward in the room. And I was oh. like, oh, son of a bitch. But um, yeah, I auditioned to be the lead in Jon Stewart's movie. He, uh, he had a movie. I wish he hired a Mexican to play a Persian, which I thought was funny. Oh, but sure. um, yeah, I, I, was, I was supposed to be in, I was on hold for Sicario. I was on hold for a movie with um, Bill Murray and uh, Zoe Deschanel and Bruce Willis called, um, I can't remember something. It, they were going to fly me to Morocco. I remember they sent me, like, they, like it was literally like, I, it's like you have four to eight auditions a year. And it's so weird that like you get this close, you know, you're, they're like, mm -hmm. hey, uh, what's your passport information? We're flying you to Morocco on Friday. You're like, what? Uh, okay. You know, like, I, I don't even know if I can get work off. Like, am I going to have to quit my job? And then, uh, and then they're like, oh, sorry, we went with someone else or whatever. But, but I had a I lot feel, of, I calls. feel like what you're telling me, it's like, um, how I feel with stand up a lot. Like, mm -hmm. you, just cause you feel like you're going in the right direction. Sometimes you're not. And sometimes you feel like you're going in the wrong direction. And you end up in a good place. Yeah. It's just like, man, how, how do you navigate this? And then of course, like you meet all these comedians like myself, I've been doing it 15 years now. Yeah. Like the first time I did stand up was 2005. Yeah. That was the first time I was on stage and I did well. I did yeah. 10 minutes and a, it was a talent show, 400 people wow. at That's my university and I did really well. And I thought, this is it for me. I'm dropping out of school. Yeah. I'm gonna be a comedian. And yeah. I did, I dropped yeah. out of school. I moved to Chicago. I was doing second city. And I thought that was it for me, but I couldn't even afford Second City. Yeah. I couldn't afford it. Yeah. I couldn't afford gas. I couldn't afford anything. Yeah. So then I had to rely on my education. Yeah. But I mean, I, I did all my credit cards doing the groundlings out here. Oh, like, that man. was another reason why I was so poor. I'm like, those classes are like 600 dude, bucks. Like, that's more that's crazy. shit, dude. They were yeah. 300 for the classes for, at the Second City. And I'm an idiot and I took stand up classes, which are a waste of money. I should have yeah. taken all improv, all writing. I've thought about actually recently, like I've been thinking about, because I have friends that get into stand-up and then they message me and I have like a lot of advice for them. Like maybe sure. I should do like it. Maybe I should teach a class. But I feel, I, I know how I felt about people that taught classes when well, I was I, coming I, up. So I, I, don't know. I took the classes but. and the teacher was good, great. Yeah. I would say a great teacher. Mm -hmm. But you're in the, I was in a room with six other people who had yeah. never done stand-up before. Yeah. And I had done stand-up uh, a lot yeah. by that point. Yeah. So I was kind of like, this is not for me. You also, it's kind of a journey of self-discovery. Like mm -hmm. all I can teach you is how my, like what works for me, you know? Yeah, like, it was that a lot of that. Yeah. They would like show us videos of the comedians they like and yeah. then kind of break down the structure of the jokes, you know, from, you know, set up, punchline, act out. Yeah. Uh, story versus bit sure. versus uh, yeah. uh, one-liner. And yeah, it was all real remedial. But uh, for some of the people that had no experience in it, they were yeah. like amazed at this. Yeah, when behind I behind the curtains look at comedy. When I taught improv, we had a lot of people that weren't comedians that would just come that were yeah. like business people or they That's wanted exactly to have was. like confidence or whatever they had. It to was like people that like. wanted to be better in interviews and mm -hmm. people who got like a gift from their wife. Yeah. Or people who are, you know, just wanna whatever, yeah. try I'm something sure they funky. Tell their friends at work, oh, I should yeah. do stand up or something. And then we whatever. had a lot of people, you know, come here and there, like they wouldn't show up to a lot of classes. And then on the night of the showcase, like only four of us ended up performing. All the other oh, wow. people like just didn't come. Wow. They were yeah, terrified. They were terrified. Yeah, that's crazy. And then I did really well on that show too. And then I started getting booked in Chicago and I thought, oh, I'm going to make yeah. it again. And then yeah. nothing. And then nothing. It is weird. It's feast yeah. or famine. It's, it, yeah. it, it goes like that almost, it's, 
it's so weird because it feels like nothing's ever going to happen again. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're overwhelmed with shit and you're like, dude, I dude, but I, I tell you what, when I was winning all those roast battles is when I was living in my car. So yeah. I couldn't enjoy any of it. Yeah. And then I finally found a place to live and I felt like fine. Everything's fine. But then my roommate was a fucking nightmare. And it yeah. was, I lived with somebody I met on Craigslist and she was just yeah. a nightmare. It was a horrible living situation. Yeah. And then, uh, after that, man, I was a lot like, of just over it. I was so over it because I was winning roast battles, but nobody like was, I mean, I was getting booked on some shows, but they're so shitty shows and just like, it wasn't coming together. It's, I didn't. Yeah. You're didn't working, see, but you're not working towards anything. No, I didn't see the long-term benefit. And then, the, and uh, uh, lo and behold, what keeps saving my ass is animal medicine. It yeah. keeps saving my ass when comedy is like, it's yeah. like, I can't uh, look at them the same way. Yeah. Like, one of them's feeding me yeah. The other one is keeping me sane. Exactly. But yeah. what's more important, I got to eat more I, I than I need to be sane. I remember one day I was sitting to my, sitting and thinking with myself, are you okay with this never happening? Like, would you be okay if you just were a waiter until the day you retired or anything else? Like, would you be okay if this just doesn't work out? And it wasn't until I said yes that I was kind of, freed from that you know like like the shackles of the genie i was just kind of like yeah. oh i'm like i'm okay with the f i had to make peace with the fact that i just might not make it i just there's a very good chance and every year that goes by there's a better chance that i yeah, won't make yeah, it yeah, yeah. um and um and i was like i think i'm okay with that but i also do think back to again those forks in the road and my first big opportunity was in college. I was um, I studied medicine, and then my best friend died uh, because of doctor negligence. And uh, yeah, that was really traumatizing for me. And he he was in uh, New York when that happened. He flew he uh, um, they flew him to New York because they couldn't do the the heart transplant in Salt Lake. And um, he was such a close friend of mine that I told him after that semester of school, I was I wasn't going to sign up for another semester. I was going to fly out and hang out with him. And him and I grew up together, always joking about being comics. We always were, you know, we'd watch like Kids in the Hall or whatever. And we'd be like, we want to write stuff like this someday or whatever. And he was like, he's like, there's so many comedy clubs out here. He's like, you should come out here and do comedy. Because um, he was going to be out there for like over a year because he recovering hard, yeah, heart transplant. And then like a year of observation or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, recovery and stuff. Make sure it doesn't get rejected and so i had a free apartment in new york city you know and you okay. know like and i could be close to my friends so i bought a one-way ticket and i was gonna drop out of school and go be a comic and then um and then uh, a few days before like three days four days before my flight he died and mm. yeah so i had a bag packed and like no job that i because i quit no schools you know nothing was set up and then i was like what do i do you know and so i canceled my I cashed in my ticket and the first time i ever told jokes like on stage was at his funeral. Like I wrote, I wrote a eulogy that was really, really, really sad. And I ran it by this kind of mentor of mine. And he was like, dude, don't read that at a kid's funeral. You know, he's like, he's like, it's people gonna break people's hearts. Yeah. He's like, yeah. people are going to just kill themselves. He's like, that's just, it, you know, it's just, it was, like, it was like how, you know, my life is over and how do I, you know, every good time I ever had was with you. I don't, I can't imagine how, you know, life will yeah. the sun will ever shine again. Something that's for him. Yeah. You know, like, it was, yeah, it was just really, yeah, it was really, really, it was like, this is exactly how I feel. But then, you know, my friend was like, why don't you write what he would want to hear, you know, at his funeral? Because he he specifically said if he ever died, he's like, don't wear black in my funeral. Tell jokes. Don't, you know, I want everyone to wear bright colors he was and like lights and stuff. 21 or something? Is this he what I'm 20, picturing? Right? Yeah, he was, he was right before he turned 21. Yeah. yeah so he, um, so yeah, so, uh, so then when he, um, when he died, I wrote. I wrote funny stories. I, I relived funny stories that I shared with him. And that was like the eulogy that I gave. And then, um, 
shortly after that, I started doing like we. I just started drinking really heavy, and then I didn't. I didn't sign up for school again, and I kind of went off to Montana and lived in the woods, and just like I had a friend who had a cabin out there, and I yeah. just needed to clear my head. Um, when I came back, I started working waiting tables at a comedy club, and then that was like my first waiting job, other than the the, the Olive Garden place that I was working at the same time. And then um, one of my friends at the at the Olive Garden place was also waiting tables at the comedy club, and we both talked each other into doing stand up. And um, we both did stand up. He did good. I did bad. And then, like three months later, we we both like he got first. I got second in a big statewide comedy contest or whatever. Wow. It's really cool. Um, and then I switched. I decided to go back to school, but I switched to business. I started taking business classes, and I was like a year in when I realized that I like none of my classes overlap because like pre med like calculus doesn't work with it's business, business calculus. calculus yeah so i had yeah. to take so it was like 1051 instead of 1050 or whatever yeah, that i had like to take that. so like so i'm like fuck okay so i'm retaking all these classes again i mean i still have a G good gpa and everything but it's going to take me like seven years to get a four-year degree yeah. and um at the same time, so like I did, I submitted for this um, internship that was apparently really prestigious. There were like, you know, 80% of the people that do this internship go on to work for Fortune 500 companies and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was going to take up the whole summer, um, the internship. And I was one of like eight people in the country that got selected. Wow. And at the same time, I got cast in a movie um, that they were filming. Napoleon Dynamite had just blown up. And the people who made Napoleon Dynamite now had a budget to make another fun movie or whatever they were but they were like let's get like fred willard and you know clint howard and whatever gary coleman and they got like all these like weird little b-level mm. actors to be in this movie and i got cast in it and i was like one of the main people in the movie like one of the like it was about main. a basketball team and i was on the basketball team i was on like the movie poster and stuff with with fred willard and stuff and um i had to make a choice like am i gonna spend my summer filming a movie with like these movie stars or am i yeah. gonna spend it doing this internship and that was one of those forks in the road where i was like no question, man. I'm gonna Fuck make this movie. I'm gonna make a fucking movie. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's just, it just, I never looked back. I think I did like one more semester of school, and then I eventually just, uh, I was like, I'm just gonna do this full time. Um, but like, I was also like, things couldn't have been better for me when I was in Salt Lake. But again, if I would have just come here, then it probably would have avoided a lot of the trauma. Probably would avoid a lot of the heartache, and I could have, you know, things probably would have turned out better. But I waited and waited and waited. Um, I kept trying to get my friend to go with me because I didn't want to go by myself. Um, and uh, I was like afraid. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not ready for LA. I can't go by myself. Come with me. We'll we'll take the town over together. How old were you then? I was 23, 24 when I first started thinking about it. It's um, young, but it's not too young. I think that's no. the people that come out here and really yeah. like, they I have, they have like a, Advantage. Well, so so Salt Lake. I I had what I had was I had a fire in my belly. You know, sure. like I had this part of me that had something to prove. I didn't I didn't know I was funny yet. I didn't know what I was put on this earth to do yet. I didn't know what I was good at yet. Um, but I did have this like fire to prove that I that I had some kind of purpose or use or a special thing about me. And um and Salt Lake City at that time had one comedy club. Still does. Still only has one comedy club. Um. And they would give us three minutes a week to work on our material. After we won that contest, we would get like Sunday spots like to open up. Um, but we couldn't work on Fridays and Saturdays because we weren't clean and we couldn't do more than three huh. minutes. And also like they would tell us like after that, like the owner would come up to us after our set and be like, hey, man, um, I don't like that you're working out new stuff on Sundays. He's like, just stick to what works, you know, and, you know, save the save the the new stuff for the open mic that we do once a month or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm writing so much material. I yeah. got to get this stuff open out. Open mic's not enough time. Yeah, I'm like three minutes 
minutes a week and you know one open mic a month i'm like it's just not, not enough. enough so the bar across the street from the it was a macaroni grill i, I just don't i say olive garden because i don't think people know what macaroni grill is I've but i've yeah. heard of it yeah, yeah macaroni grill way better than olive garden but anyway <laughs> um the, across the street from the macaroni grill was this bar and they used to do they had like an open mic on sundays and they said they were going to close down because it was so slow and they were like we don't you know and um i asked them if we could do like comedy open mic on oh on they had sundays. like a music open mic they had like an anything open mic oh, like okay, you gotcha. improv so they would have improv improvisers do like improv jams and they would have musicians come play music and different nights of the week they would have musicians doing it and then on sunday i asked them if we could just do a comedy and we would do a mix of improv and stand-up so we would do someone would do stand-up and then we do an improv scene and then and kind of break it up like that and there would be like five of us. So there'd be like five comics going up and we'd do like five improv scenes or five improv games or some kind of singing game or something like that. Yeah. Um, for like a year, I, I did that every fucking week. And um, it was fun. We had a blast. We got drunk. We all got to hang out. We bonded. We made friends. And um, and it was, it was a really good time. We grew as comics. We would get like 15 minutes or whatever. We give ourselves like a nice long amount of time. Um, we all got blacklisted from the comedy club for that. The, Damn. the comedy club says you're now my competition, and wow. I'm like, we, you're not even open on Sunday night. Yeah. And I'm like, why? How like, is this competition? Yeah, like yeah. we started our show at like 10:30, and he his la his show ends at 10 on Sunday. So they're just saying if people go to your show, they're not going to come to my show. That's what type? he was saying. Yeah, and I was like, and I'm not even marketing to the same people. I'm like, I'm marketing to the underbelly of the city. I'm like, we're we're dirty, we're crass, we're uncensored. You know, like I'm like that. The I same called, people aren't going to come. Yeah, yeah, I called it the underground comedy movement, the UCM, and I, like I made this big marketing thing and i promoted the shit out of it and after a year it became like the hottest show in town like it was the busiest show in salt lake and then i got approached by bars and people the city gave us an award well gave me an award that i, I chose to share with you know my friends or whatever that that i did it with um but uh but i mean like it was it, as much as i try to share a lot of the the um achievement the success, it was yeah. yeah it was me that was like i would show up at six i would rearrange the chairs and tables i would set, i bought spotlights at home depot and i set up like a spotlight system and i built a stage and i fucking bought show. a mic and a mic stand did yeah, you host like, it what's that i hosted it yeah and that was the other thing too is like I would, I would go during like i would host and i would do a couple minutes between every comic because a lot of the comics were pretty bad a lot of them got their start on that show mm. um and so like like it would just be me getting drunk and I would go and sit with the audience and I would have, sh I'd buy shots for people and I'd make friends with everybody. I knew everybody by name and everybody would, I would, they would come the next week and they would bring their friends. And we'd like, because of that, I never did the same set twice. I would always write new shit every week so that they wouldn't see the same thing. Um, and people came and stayed and they would tell me, they're like, I, we'll just come for you. They're like, you know, these other comics are fine. It's fun to watch them grow, but we come. They're waiting to see you. Yeah. They're like, we, you know, we stay for you. They're like, we come and we drink and we stay for you. And um, and after a year, it became really famous. And I started booking comics like Stan Hope and Louis Louis Black and and um, you know like I, I got a bunch of I don't know if you did you know Sean Rouse back in the day or whatever? Sean Rouse yeah he's, he used to open for a tell he's uh, he was a friend of mine he was my roommate when I moved out here he died recently but um, mm. uh, he was he was a really great guy and I booked him a lot and uh, Andy Andrist and a bunch of guys like that and um, uh, yeah so like. Um, and like Tig Notaro, I mean, we had, we had oh, a lot wow. of great comics that came through that room. And uh, it's actually really funny. One of the people that was a fan of the show moved out here and started doing comedy. And now she's pretty successful. Um, Babs Gray. Um, um, well, we called her Barbara, but like, yeah, Babs Gray. Um, anyway, look her up. She's really funny. She's really, really funny. She used to be a fan of our, our show in Salt Lake. She would come as an audience member. She never did stand up out there. But wow. now she moved out here. And became really successful. Is that a lot? You got that a lot of like a lot of people that started comedy because you are now doing well. Well, not because of me, but like like there was one like my friend that's on The Walking Dead. We went to I went to Arizona 
did this big comedy contest thing or whatever. And like the big local guy was this guy named Josh. And I was really intimidated by him, but he was, he was on the radio and everybody knew him and he was a finalist on last comic standing and all this stuff. And so everybody was like, Josh is the local hometown hero or whatever. And then we did this big comedy contest and I beat him. And, um, and then like, and I didn't stay because I was booked on another show afterwards. So then I left and then, and I think I insulted people or whatever. Anyway. So then when we came to LA, me and him moved here about the same time and we, we became friends and we hung out and talked. And then he booked his own show on Nick at night, um, which had like a couple of seasons. And then, so because the manager that he had back back in those days or whatever because of last comic standing or whatever that agent had moved on and moved up and became kind of like a big successful agent so josh now had all these big uh, josh mcdermott by the way if, if you oh, want okay. yeah, to yeah. google him um and we we became friends we would write together we did improv together we would do like we were we did like herald shows and sketch shows and stuff at ucb and whatever we were we were good friends i love him to death and then he got he got the walking dead and all of a sudden it was like boom he was booking commercials he was doing a lot of stuff um, TJ Miller was another one. Like TJ, oh, wow. uh, we were at huge Sundays fan. together. I'm a huge fan of TJ Miller. He's really funny. Yeah. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. So I got him to come play um, my room back in Salt Lake or whatever. TJ Miller is one of those comics that like made me want to be a comic. Oh, he's yeah. hilarious. He's amazing. He was from Chicago too, yeah. actually. Denver yeah. and Chicago. Mm. Um, yeah. And Kyle so, Kinane, TJ Miller, James Adomian, like these guys that uh, Chicago guys. Yeah, really funny guys. And even like really, Hannibal really Burris and. Hannibal's great. And these guys, I was like, man, this is something that, I, aside from like Dave yeah. Chappelle and shit like that. Yeah, those, yeah, are, those are the guys that like I actually uh, looked up to and then ended up being able to do shows with at some point. Yeah, it's that's always Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, man, how did I like make that happen? And yeah. how do you like recreate that magic? But yeah. those guys, like I did those shows and uh, n nothing. Yeah. Nothing from nothing. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. So, so, so TJ and I both had a movie at Sundance together. Um, we'd done some shows and stuff together before this, but like this was like two weeks at Sundance, like just hang, like 24 seven hanging out. And he saw our movie and he's like, dude, this is going to make you famous, blah, blah, blah. And he was in a Paul Rudd movie there. And Paul Rudd wasn't a big star then either. And they were both. And I was like, hey, man, like, do you maybe want to hook me up with a, you know, a hookup on an agent or something like that? You know, cause I just fired my other agent and hadn't signed the new one yet. And he was like, dude, you're going to be fine. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, just, you know, keep your chin up. And I'm like, I'm really kind of on hard times. <laughs> and then he blew up after that. And I, I it's like every once in a while I can get him to text me back. But like, I'm like, dude, like, fuck man, help a brother up. But like, yeah, like I, so, so these weren't people that started out with me, but they were people that like, we, we were we were part of like the same class yeah you know? and we kind of mm. like we were both we, we we both thought that we were going to watch the other one blow up right and, and then yeah like i i surprised a lot of people because i came here and took off and then and then crashed and burned and then everyone else like took off after me and then my other buddy charlie who i went to high school with and we did all this stuff together and we he moved out here at the same time as me he got he got on True Detective on season one. He was the bad guy on True Detective, Reggie Ledoux. Um, Charlie Halford is the guy's name. Um, he ended up getting on a show called Constantine. That's where I found out about the series Regular Minimum Wage. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, his career took off and I hardly ever got to see him anymore. But he did introduce me to Charlie Baker, who was Skinny Pete on um, on uh, Breaking Bad. It's, uh, oh, okay. it's all kind of surreal. But yeah, it's like it's funny just watching these guys that like I, I knew – 
you know, when we were nobody and they all kind of took off or whatever. And but well, it can't be over. You know, that's what that's of course I hang on to the dream that one day someone's going to see me do stand up, or one day someone's going to see me do roast battle, or yeah. one day someone's going to hear this podcast. One, one audition, day somebody's going to see my old videos that are out there. That's that's uh, literally I started re-releasing videos. You yeah. know, because I learned that if you put it on YouTube, you'll get sixty views, but if yeah. you put it on Facebook, you'll get two thousand. Yeah, like immediately. Yeah, it can happen. Yeah. So then I, mean, I started the doing that. Comedy's been doing that. They've been getting tons of hits. Dude, I'll get thousands of views on a video not yeah. one extra subscriber no yeah. more twitter follower no extra instagram followers yeah. and it's just like how is that even possible yeah like, how do you how do you have a big show and kill and yeah nobody follows you the next day like, I, how do these people do it i never got if a i don't have titties i don't know how to do it <laughs> that it definitely probably helps i i remember i would do these shows um on the road and um when i first was starting out i was you know featuring and uh, it's like doing 30 35 minutes for a headliner I remember opening for these guys who were in their fifties, and um, and I'd be like, "You you make more when you headline here than I do, right? Like they pay me like three hundred bucks when I headline, but you probably make like what six, seven hundred bucks, thousand bucks. What do they pay?" And he's like, "Dude, we all get paid the same." He's like, "Yeah." He's he's like, "It's a, he's like it's standard rate." He's like he's like, "There's no union. There's no negotiating." He's like, "There's no." And I'm like, but you've been doing this for like thirty five years. I've been doing this for like four, you know. And I'm yeah. like, how how are you? You know, how, how is it possible that, yeah. yeah, how do you feed your family? I'm like, you spent, I'm like, I can't stand in my 20s being on the road this much, driving this much between gigs. I'm like, it's it's kind of like a homeless lifestyle yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, it's a way. hobo lifestyle, like a vagabond. Yeah, I mean, I literally, like there's it. some nights when you don't have a show, and so you don't have a hotel room, and you're you like, sleep in your car. you sleep in your car. The only way I would make ends meet was I would take a cooler with uh, sandwiches. Like, yep. it was just sandwich pack, shit. Sand, you know, like ham and like cheese. On a long, and like like a road trip. Really you're eating at the road trip. You're eating at the, the rest stops. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, you can't you can't afford to eat Denny's three meals a day when you're making 200 a, a night, two to 300 a night. So. Yeah, see, man, that's, yeah. But, that's such a fucking... But, the, but I do believe, like, if, well, I do believe if you stick with it. So here's the point that I was making is uh, I, after those shows, I would get like, I would perform in front of maybe 200 people every night or whatever. And I would get maybe five, if I had a great set, maybe 10 subscribers or whatever, or, or followers or friends on MySpace or whatever it was back then. I would get a few people. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, at this rate, it's going to take me a thousand years mm. to to get a following right. where I can I can sell out like an arena or something mm. like that. And I'm like, how the fuck did Brian Regan do it without being on television? And um, and I started talking to these guys, you know, I'm like, so you don't get you get paid the same as me. And they said, yeah, they're like, it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. They're like, it matters how many you know seats you sell. Mm. And like, I remember Screech, uh, Dustin Diamond, uh -huh. um, he came to the comedy club, the Wise Guys Comedy Club. And I asked him how much he was making. And they said something like 30 grand for the weekend. And I'm like, why are you? He, I'm like, he's stealing jokes up there. He's terrible. Like, it's awful. He's yeah. awful. And you're, I seen and, him in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, one time as yeah. a headliner, and I was like, you're not even a comic. He's not a comic. <laughs> you're he's just like a 100. He's a freak show. He made a porn video. I mean, he's just, yeah. he was just doing he's anything. An attraction. It's like a yeah. weird like retirement plan that he had. Like, I'm just gonna tour and get. His, he was getting paid thousands of dollars. It's fucking crazy. Because he was selling yeah. tickets. Because the tickets to his show were like thirty bucks. Yeah, they were I pricey. Was like, how, that's crazy. That's how crazy. the club. Yeah. yeah, the club pays them, and then they keep the liquor sales. Mm. And um, and I'm like, why would you pay him? And the bar and the club owner wasn't even shy about it. He's like, I'm not. He's like, this isn't an artist colony. He's like, I'm a nightclub. I sell drinks. He's like, if you go on stage and you offend a person and they leave, I lose drinks. You know. He's like, you know. But if if you sell a hundred tickets, I'll put you on stage. And I realized I'm like, you could be the funniest person in the world. And oh, then Brad Pitt could walk in the room and go, "Hey, I want a headline," and they're going to put Brad Pitt oh. on stage. Yeah, head marquee. 
And and that's when I when I was like, and the guy would told me he's like, if you want to make money doing this, go to LA, get on TV, get known, and then you can set your own rate when you go on the road. And this was at the time when like Joel McHale wasn't doing stand up, but he was being like everyone was being pushed in it, like Adam Carolla, Joel McHale, people were being pushed to do stand up by their agents because it was now like a fallback plan. Like anybody could stand on a stage and sell tickets, you know, like they were, they were just if you're selling famous, tickets. you yeah. can sell tickets, one hundred percent. And that's that's kind of where comedy went for a while. Comedy clubs died. And then it became like people, the real comics were booking their own door deals at venues. They weren't going through comedy clubs as much anymore because they didn't want to deal with the middle man. Yeah. Like, like, like the comedy club, when they finally did start booking me and paying me, they would give me like $800 to headline a weekend or whatever. But then when I came and played Sundance and I did a door deal, I sold out the show and made like $2,500 for one show. Yeah. And I'm like, why would I ever do six shows again? It for sucks when you learn bucks? that. Yeah. I was producing shows in Korea. Like first, uh, I was doing shows and making like no money, and then I producing shows and was making money. And yeah. I was like, "This is crazy." Yeah, when this I was running crazy. my room, I yeah. was making like six hundred bucks a week, and I was paying the comics like a hundred. Me bucks. too. That's what I was doing. I started paying the comics, yeah. and that's that's when things like were great. The comics yeah. were happy. I was happy. Oh, I went opposite happy. way for me. The comics but, wanted more. They took yeah, the room from me. That kind of yeah. happened to me too because I had like I paid the headliner a little bit more yeah. than the feature, than the opener, than yeah. the host. And, but I kept the lion shit. Yeah, and because like you're that. doing all the work. They, they didn't like that. They didn't like that either. No. They did the same thing to me. They, they, I would, I would count the money in front of them, mm. and then it would be like five, six hundred bucks, and I would give them a hundred, which is more than they'd ever been paid right. to do comedy. Right, right. And I paid for their bar tab, which is yeah. already more no, than they would give free been drinks. Doing. And then yeah. I would give the headliner a hundred. Yeah. I'd give the host fifty, and then I'd give the opener twenty, yeah. and the the middle act thirty. On it was top like, of all, the average. Yeah. On top of all of that. I was taking these guys on the road for their first road gigs. I would let them open for me in these like little bars and whatever that I was playing. I helped them their career in every way that I could. I helped give them advice in every way that I could. I gave some of them their first stage time. And then as soon as like within a month of me making money, I did the show for free for over a year, for like two years, I did the show for free. And then as soon as I started making money within a month, they took the show from me. They went to the bar owner who was who hated me because he basically saw me as as a dick because I was constantly like like nickel and diming him. I'm like, dude, like let me see the register. Let me see how much you make because he would pay. I, he would. Ah, uh, you get a percentage, I would, I would of, the percentage of the bar. I took yeah. So, so you didn't want a receipt at the end. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to. I'm like, because he would run the report late. Like he would run the like we'd be there since nine thirty, but he'd run the report at like eleven. So he'd say he only sold like a thousand dollars in drinks or whatever. And I'm like, dude, bullshit. We've been here since nine thirty. And I'm like, what? How much money have you made from nine thirty till eleven? Mm. Um. And so like he would he was always trying to like not pay me or screw sure. me somehow. And then I would take the door money, um, which was five. I charge. It was a free show originally. Then I charge five dollars i figured five dollars is reasonable worth the show reasonable mm -hmm. and i'll make like four hundred dollars from that right. so i paid the comics a hundred bucks more than they ever got paid then uh like within a month i showed up there and they were like hey uh you know you're not we're not letting you here anymore they were, and wow. i was like what really and i'm like well at least let me take my audience with me because i just fucking busted my ass to I build this yeah, do following. hours upon hours of sitting on myspace messaging people sharing oh, yeah. stories whatever you know talking to people making friends and that's how i'm able to sell out shows when i go to salt lake but i don't even really have that following much anymore it's been 10 years yeah since a while back. You know? yeah um yeah but anyway um should we talk about pets? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I mean, I hate to like have a structure to the show, and I promise you, it goes, it goes back and forth. Like some people really listen to the podcast because they want to hear about pets, and they'll give yeah. me like weird advice. Like uh, there was a question, yeah. There was. Oh, a, I have a yeah, question. The, the exercise people, question. Yeah. People ask me questions online, and I, and I love to get to that part. And then you mm. know, I have like segments in case we have nothing to talk about. But yeah, if I have a guest I'm on chatting. that has something to talk about, like mm. we might as well do that because the pet part 
it becomes monotonous. Like, yeah. People ask the same questions all the time. Sure. And in reality, any question you ask me, you could ask me outside of the podcast. I'll fucking sure. answer you. Yeah. You know, it's no big deal. But what I do like about the podcast is that uh, sometimes people ask serious questions, but most yeah. time people are asking stupid questions. This <laughs> this friend. Yeah. Uh, the exercise question I liked. And yeah, I just, his name is Alec Minero. So Alec Minero is a comedian that I did shows with in Korea. So he's like South Korea. He's a white guy. He's from like New York or something. He's an East Coast guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like super smart, super funny and like smart alecky and like an asshole. Like yeah. the kind of person that I can talk to. Gotcha. Right. Because yeah. they, they don't have a lot of ego. Yeah. Right. He doesn't care if you like him. Yeah. So like, he's somebody that I, I like those kind of people. And uh, he's just like played a 12 string guitar, like wow, a bass, that's you know, impressive. Like, he was just yeah. like this uh, jack of all trades guy. So here's his question, Alec Minero. Uh He said he might know the answer, but why do pets think it's the time to start getting crazy when you're working out? All right. So I thought that was a good question because I see everybody posting about them, you know, the the pet yoga and the yeah. cat yoga. And you got uh, Alex Super with his dog and he's working out and the dog's doing the shit yeah. with them. The, the there's, pug there's yoga. a great video. I can't remember who it was, but it's oh. this girl. I think she's doing like a yoga pose or whatever. And uh, her dog or cat, I can't remember, climbs into her shirt yeah. and she can't like get, get him off or whatever. Yeah, man, it's, hilarious. it's hilarious. No, I, I think that's yeah. all hilarious. And, uh, you know, I never really thought of a why, right? Why do you riling pets do up? That? You're riling yourself up, right? You're on the ground. Number one, that's where they are. Yeah. Like number one, you're on the ground where they are. And anytime you get on the ground, if you have a playful animal, they're gonna yeah. want to. And then they want to play. Yeah. Right. They want to play with you. They yeah. want to interact. And then they they want to exercise too. Like yeah. I I believe people don't play with their pets enough. Right. Yeah. 100%. You have a pet and you want to pet it. Yeah. And you and you and you I feel you bad know. for people in, in LA because yeah. it's like the or do, for animals in LA mm-hmm. you can't you there's you know there's no yards or anything there's no yeah man look do you see our fake grass back there for the dog to piss and poop on yeah. man it's not it's not cool we walk the yeah. dog for all you listeners out there i'm a proponent of dog walking <laughs> but we do have the lazy man's back fucking patio yeah. fake grass the um, toilet yeah it sucks yeah. but it works outhouse. and but i think that you know being on the ground playing with your dog yeah. exercise is important well, they want to interact with you dogs love two yeah. things yeah food and attention yeah exactly it. they're they're That's pack it. animals they just they, they just want the approval of they the, want to be around yeah. you they want to do what you're doing yeah. and then i just think it's funny you know the cats like cats are like all over cats like yeah. the curious as a cat if i'm typing the cat's on my type yeah. my keyboard if <laughs> yeah. i'm writing the cat's trying to knock my pen out of my hand cats are kind of like chicks it's like they only want attention when you're not when, giving when it you're to fucking them. Yes. busy yes. Yeah. yeah yeah when i'm busy as soon as you try to give them attention i'm always tripping over her i'm coming out of the bathroom and i'm tripping over her she wants to walk under my feet and it's yeah. like you're such an idiot like you know how easy i could crush yeah. your spine yeah. like could you just not i literally texted uh, a girl like an hour before i drove over here and then she texted me while we were talking like and i'm like I, I rem- i'm like just going like come on text me back before i before we start recording that's the thing though is like cats and chicks are like that dogs are and that's why i think i'm a puppy like i feel like i'm i literally just like loyal. i would follow you around like if you just walked around the mall i just me walk, too just man I'm, I'm like on that guy too i think that's why it was not a big change for me to get married i realized not that i should have gotten married earlier but you know i was kind of fighting yeah my my core I, beliefs that you know it's yeah. it's not in me to i like, should have married this girl a while back i i was terrified of it never too late well I, I tried reaching married. out no it i burn bridges i i'm terrible about that sometimes i it was um there was this girl where i was like it was like the best relationship i ever had like everything was like just great we got along great never argued i trusted her she trusted me and we were like we were like two peas in a pod and i was 33 and i'd never really had a lot of attention from girls up until that point but then like right before i met her um i just kind of like i found like this confidence in myself and i just started dating and i became a whore but it was like the best kind yeah, of yeah, yeah like i was like it feels good it was yeah like i signed up for all these dating apps which i used to think that were lame and for desperate people and i so i signed up but now i'm like meeting people it works. going out and mm. I mean, yeah it works and i'm i'm i'm, I'm I'm having like great connections, great relationships. I'm meeting all sorts of 
fascinating individuals. And all of a sudden this girl comes along who's like, hey, I'm not comfortable with you dating a bunch of different people. You know, uh, if you want, we can date exclusively. exclusively yeah. yeah. We stayed together for like a year. And um, I, kept, I kept telling myself, I'm like, I could marry this person. I'm like, I, I literally don't see an end to this ever coming. And then I started freaking out. And I was like, but then what about like everyone else? Like, what if what if there's someone else out there for me that I'm that I'm uh, that I'm not meeting that would be better or whatever? So I told her, I'm like, I don't want to waste your time. You're 33. And I, I still feel like I've got like like there's I've got so much living to do that I mm -hmm. haven't done, you know, but you don't want to settle down yet. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to waste your time because what if you meet like the perfect guy and you're like, sorry, I'm in this relationship with this guy who's phoning it in or whatever. And um, and I was like, I don't want to do the right thing. I thought I did the right thing. But then like she was hurt. And she's like, well, if you change your mind, let me know. And I kind of had this weird. So the way her parents proposed, like her mom and dad were dating and then they broke up and then her dad just showed up on her doorstep and proposed. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that's what I'll do. You know, like maybe I'll maybe I'll go and I'll, I'll sow my oats. I'll see what's I'll see if I'm I'll see if I'm really happier without her or whatever, which I wasn't. I dated I basically after I broke up with her, every girl I met after her was extremely toxic it was almost like the world the universe was punishing me for mm -hmm. making that decision oh yeah I'm and i was like there. i was ready to like just show up on her doorstep with a with a ring and um and uh she she posted like this stuff online that like my mom called me and she's like what's up with tammy like is she like like she's posting some stuff that like it's obviously it's transparent that she's posting it to try to hurt you or whatever she's posting pictures of her with this other guy oh. and um and she's like she's like um why is she doing that? She's like, you're not posting pictures with other girls and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. We promised to be respectful of each other. And so I messaged her. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? And I'm like, yeah. my mom, my family, everybody's like messaging me going like, what's up with Tammy? Like trying to make you jealous and shit. And, um, and she's like, I'm not your girlfriend anymore. I can do whatever I want. And I'm like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but we're supposed to yeah, be Yeah, why respectful. would you do that? Yeah, yeah I'm like, You yeah, could do whatever you want, so why are you choosing that? Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I fucked other people, but I didn't post it. I'm like, even when I was tagged in pictures, I untagged them so you wouldn't see them because yeah, I cared respect, about you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she was hurt that you ended it. Yeah, she was She was hurt. She came up to me and was, so our, the last thing we did before we broke up was our plans were to go to Disneyland. We were planning a Disneyland day or whatever. And then um, when we broke up, she's like, I have a guy coming to stay with me. Are you cool with that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm 100% cool with that. You know, be safe, have fun, whatever, you know, please be respectful. And, um, and I wasn't sleeping with, her. I wasn't like fucking with her like head or anything like, you know, hooking up with her and then telling her, you know, yeah, you like, were in line I, I, I kept a boundary. I, I, I made a solid boundary. I didn't try having sex with her or anything. And she would come over and, and I would just be like a friend. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to mess with her head in any way. Sure. Um, but then, yeah. So she's like, um, so this guy's coming to stay with me. I'm like, cool. I'm like, good for you. Um, be safe, whatever. And then she's like, we're going to go to Disneyland. And I'm like, all right, that stings a little. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, I thought we were gonna go, and she's like, "Well, we're just friends now, and you don't, you don't want to be my boyfriend, so I'm gonna go like, with this guy who does." Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm not gonna pretend like it doesn't hurt, but all right, that's fine, whatever. And then she posted all the pictures from Disneyland. She posted all the pictures from her week with a guy and all this stuff, and it was Ooh. just all over my feed and all over my family's and friends' feed, and everyone was like, "Dude, what's up? up?" Yeah, and so it's just I, I messaged her and I was like, "Dude." I thought you were somebody totally different. I'm like, but apparently you can He's be like petty. vindictive. Yeah. And petty. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of petty. And I'm like, and I, I did a lot of shit. Like, like, I don't know. I, I felt like it was, it was the healthiest relationship I had up until that point. And then the, the part of it that I think nagged at me was at the same time that I met her, like shortly afterward, I met this girl that I've never had a, a connection with somebody the way that I had with this person. Like it was insane. Like from the minute we met, it was like, 
let's just get out of here. We just went and like just ran to her apartment and just like stayed there for days. Like it was, it was crazy. Like, and it was like, we were both like, like, is this real? Like, is this like, I've never had any kind of like connection with somebody like this. And then I told her about the Tammy thing. I was like, Hey, you know, Tammy wants to do this monogamous or whatever. And, you know, I met her before you and I feel like I kind of owe it to her to, you know, if she wants that, I got to respect it, you know, whatever. still makes me laugh to this day. She, her response was you're leaving me for someone named tammy <laughs> i remember still laughing going like fuck maybe it's a mistake and she's like i thought there was something here it felt special it felt like there was something and i was like you thought that too and i'm like i was wor- in my head i was thinking that i was like you were crazy you know, yeah, yeah I'm like, you're I'm like, imagining you're, it i'm imagining it i'm making it bigger than it is or she's for her it's just sex for me it's something i'm making something bigger and out deeper, of it or whatever yeah. and then now i'm like finding out that she was into it too and then i was like well i don't you know i'm like i'm pretty sure it won't last none of my relationships do i'll uh, i'll message you after like six months later she messages me and she goes um hey uh how are things going with you and tammy do you think you're gonna be do you see an end in sight and i'm like no it seems like we're kind of going yeah we're going pretty good like doesn't i don't see any kind of reason to end it and you know whatever and she's like all right well i met a guy um but i've been kind of blowing him off you know like Hoping that you and yeah. yeah, and she's like, but if you, you know, if, if she's like, but if you say that you're, you know, gonna Taking. stay, yeah, then she's like, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a shot. And I was like, dude, I would never tell you to put your life on hold for me. By all mm. means, go have fun. You know, it would, it, I would be the biggest asshole if I told you, you to wait while yeah. I have fun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I, I would be a complete hypocrite if I. Yeah. So she. Uh, she married him. <laughs> like, oh, shit. So I, I remember messaging her at one point drunk while I was with Tammy. And I was like, I think I made a mistake because I thought about her all the time. Like, I was like, what? If? I'm like, maybe I should have gone with her. And I messaged her and I was like, leave your boyfriend. Let's run <laughs> off together. She's like, dude, you can't fucking do that. You can't you can't fucking pull this shit. And then like she got engaged to him and married to him. And I, I we're still friends on Facebook and stuff, but we don't really talk very much anymore. Dude, um, we gotta do, I got to do like a relationship podcast. I feel like yeah. these are like more like also interesting. Like, yeah. You should just have man a podcast network or well, something. Because my wife and I, really. we were together. We yeah. broke up for nine years. Wow. She married another dude, got divorced with that dude. Yeah. Then me and her got back together. Wow. So like I lost her, regretted it for yeah. nine years. Wow. Regretted it, knew I fucked up, knew she was the one. Yeah. Thought I would never meet another girl. I dated so much yeah. in that nine years. Never met anybody that even remotely came close to her. She ruined me. Yeah. She showed me like how a relationship that's was supposed the, to That's be. the thing. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm like, I had so many bad relationships on either side of Tammy that I'm just like, fuck, if... If if I would have had just a few more good relationships, you know, like maybe, no. I, yeah. yeah. But I'm like, it's just it just makes it so much more painfully, more painfully aware that that um what what a good relationship can be, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. and good relationships are hard, but bad relationships are hard and they suck. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. It's like yeah. everything that I go through with my wife feels worth it. Yeah. When I was arguing with chicks that I didn't even care about, yeah. she just had like a, she looked good in jeans. Yeah. yeah. I was like, why am I losing sleep over this shit? Yeah. My, my big thing is like have to, I have a hard time saying no. And so mm. it's usually the more aggressive girl that I end up with, you know? So it's like some girl wants to be chased or whatever. And I am busy with my own shit and some other girl is chasing me. And I end up usually just going with the easier one. Cause I'm like, mm. she's already at my house. She likes me. Yeah. yeah she mm. likes me. She clearly likes me. Yeah. I'm and a, I'm a fucking sucker for that too, which isn't good. Yeah. Right? No, it's it never, yeah. it's never good because those be girls are also pursuing other guys too. And they, yeah, yeah. that's something else, yeah. dude. If she's doing that to you, she's probably doing it to somebody 100%. else. 100%. Yeah. The girl I'm, the girl I, I hooked up with recently, she's married and I'm like, Oh, she's like, well, I'm in an open relationship. And I was like, Oh, okay. She's like, my husband has a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then, um, 
and then I was like, you know, we should maybe, I'm like, you should get tested or something. And yeah. she's like, yeah, I've hooked up with a lot of guys in the last few months. And I was like, fuck. Ooh. I know. I'm like, I feel special. All right. Well, I'm going to go. I just got tested today, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. shit, man. At least they're all over the place. You live in Hollywood, West Hollywood, you said? They're like, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm close, actually. Well, I she lives here. She lives right by you, actually. Okay. She's the one I texted before I came out here. I was like, hey, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods. Um, I live over by LACMA, like by oh, the okay. Grove, Fairfax. So um, that's not too far. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Um, was it like 20, traffic, 30 morning, minutes? 15, 20 minutes. Oh, ah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's not bad. No, but I we're going to start wrapping this up. I know right. that uh, you said you wanted to get some sleep. And yeah, I, I had a long night or early man. fucking interview, dude. This 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 job decision, I don't know what to do. I yeah. don't know what to do, man. I, I'll, I'll fucking figure it out. But okay, la- the only segments I got is animals in the news. So it looks like they're not letting just anybody bring a service animal on flights anymore before yeah, you can have like I a service bird on that. Yeah, or a service a cat or something yeah a service horse uh whatever somebody brought on i have miniature horses about that because i'm i'm yeah disneyland's lets you take a miniature horse i'm allergic to cats and i've often wondered like what if i'm sitting on a long flight with oh, someone carrying a cat like i'll you'd, have an asthma die. attack yeah and, no i think it's got way out of control the, yeah. the restraints for it like to get a your animal registered a service animal all you gotta do is pay a fine. Yeah, we you register online, you yeah. pay a fine, and then bam. I did that with my ex and her dog. Like we, um, because like we would take her everywhere, mm-hmm. and like, and I was like, why don't we just get her registered as a service animal? You just go online, you pay a couple bucks, yep. and they send like you forty five bucks or something. If that, yeah, yeah, and then they cheap. just ask you, can your dog come sit stay? You just lie and say yes, yeah. even yeah. if it can't. Will your dog sit yeah. under a they chair don't test or, an or anything? Nope, yeah. they don't. I mean, it's not like a blind seeing eye dog where they have to get or like a seizure dog where they have to train it specially or whatever. They just go, it's a. It's a, a support animal. Is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, emotional support animal. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, it's like that's such a bullshit thing because yeah. people take advantage of it. If it was yeah. every, if everybody was honest, no problem. But yeah, everybody's full of shit and they just want to take their dog. Like, and I've been, I've been tempted to get my dog registered so I can yeah. just take her places. Yeah, because it's a pain in the ass to like find a dog sitter or yeah. take your dog with Give you. Give me a call, dude. I'm on wag. <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm about to. I'm about to definitely like, dude. We gotta hang out after this, and at least like you want to hang out here. Like this for is sure. this is it for me. Like yeah. I don't go out. Yeah, but as far as hanging out at home. Watching yeah. TV, I'm an, I'm an, chilling. I'm, I'm good with that, and yeah. uh, you know, and hopefully, maybe we could find something to do, like some kind of project to work. Yeah, on. Yeah, that would be great. I, I mean, I'm new back. I yeah. don't hang out with anybody. I try yeah. to hang out with Tony, but he doesn't have a car. <laughs> yeah, I try to hang out with Caesar, but he's got a baby. I only hear from Tony when he needs something. Poor guy. Like he's he's either when he's down in the dumps, I'll hear yeah. from him. I'm well, like, hey, poor guy. Well, I, I hang out with him uh, regularly enough, yeah. just because you know. So, oh, we battled. Yeah. So me and Tony became really close friends. We ended yeah. up hanging out, and me and him, like on the outside, you would think that we have nothing in common. Right? Yeah. Like just looking at him and looking at me, talking to him, talking to me, you would think two guys that wouldn't yeah. be able to hang out together. No, no. But I, yeah. I sit there and I talk to him, and he's so interesting. He is compared he's a to the guy. normal people that I had in my life that yeah. are just like like me. Yeah. There's so much like me that I get nothing to gain from that. Yeah. The same with Tony. I'm like, I don't know nobody like you. <laughs> yeah. You're fucking totally different. So you got to hang out with everybody. Yeah. Man. And yeah. that's what I like about hey, Tony. Yeah. It's like, man, you you've gone through this. Like, just when I think that I've gone through a lot here in Hollywood, like yeah. nothing compared to somebody that's been here for a while and had like real successes. Yeah. Not like an eight and own roast battle is like a perceived success because yeah. it's such a little microcosm of what's what's comedy. Uh, yeah. It seemed like a big deal at the time. But you but, know what though? Like those guys that blew up that I told you about, mm. they had really nothing before that. You know what I mean? Like, so like, it might look like someone, I remember watching people growing up going like, man, I wish that I booked all you the work that this guy answer has. Answer Tony's question. Tony Speaking of Tony, what kind of, what kind of pets they got in Saudi? Um, I want to say camels. I don't know. Would that, would that be a, would that <laughs> yeah, be that's a, a pet? They, um, they take care of it. It's domesticated. I did do a Bible story uh, movie thing or whatever for like a, 
a, what a big um, industry in Utah is the industrial industry, where it's like, um, like you know, that like you go to a job and you have like a training video or something like that. Like I, I didn't like the pretzel maker training video. Like I taught people how to make pretzels or whatever. Sure. Like you get hired for that shit in, sure, in Utah. Like yeah, the acting gig. They film a lot of that stuff in Utah. Yeah, there's sure. a lot of industry there, and they film a lot of industrial videos there. And there's a lot of um, religious there. So there's a lot of Book of Mormon movies. There's a lot of like religious church movies or whatever and they have a budget sometimes you never even hear but they're not like released publicly like they're just like at this church if you sure, want to go videotape that they keep exactly they show it at pr promotion yeah whatever, promotion yeah like video. the church gives it away to its you know you know congregation or sure, whatever it's like stocking stuffer or something exactly yeah, yeah. and it's like you, it never gets released in theaters but like you did it and it's cool because some, they have a budget so like I, I i got to ride a camel and play like this like old timey religious i don't know like moses or something nah. you know like i was like riding a camel and there was like a bunch of followers i don't remember what we were doing but i just remember like it was it was scary and cool like as like it's riding a camel is cool as hell it seems scary. it's a big fucking animal it's it's a huge animal yeah. for one they kneel down so you don't have to jump oh, yeah, up on them they do right they like get down on their and they can kick Ox. you in any direction. So they it's not like horses. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like horses where you don't walk behind them. Like they can kick you in any direction, which is what's And they spit. They do spit. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember the spitting so much as I just remember the guy saying, don't stand too close to him because he might kick you. They were, they're kind of dicks, but they're yeah. fun. Um, but it's like an old horse. Like an old horse could be a dick. They'll exactly. try to bite you. They'll try to kick you. Yeah. And I, when I was working at the large animal hospital, they had camels there and they would spit. Yeah. They would if they were angry yeah. or annoyed if they didn't want you coming near them. Yeah. They would they would like like yeah. like through their yeah, teeth they gleek yeah like gleek yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like how the fuck yeah. it's so crazy but uh i mean i i man i'm lucky that i loved animals growing up stayed yeah. with it stuck with it ups and downs yeah. uh dropped out of school to try to be a comedian went back to oh, so veterinary I, medicine go I ahead i was gonna say follow your heart on the job thing because here's the thing yeah. i'm i'm such a firm believer in things happening for a reason you know like part of me you know even though this belief has led me nowhere. Uh, part of me, you're still here. Believes, I'm here. It's not nothing. People, I still think that things happen for a reason. Meaning, like your job flew you out here for right. a reason. Maybe right. that reason is to take this other job. Maybe this other job is supposed to lead to other things. Yeah, I would just like say, that. as long as you don't close any doors behind you, like as long like as you no leave nicely and you yeah. do it the right way, you're classy. Set it up in a way, but also like go where you're wanted to. You know, because like I took a job at, at a restaurant that seemed like better money or whatever and i mean it's it's better than the place i was working before that or whatever but i also like it's it's not a job i like you know like it's i definitely don't feel like i have job security like i feel like i could lose my job tomorrow or yeah you know or they might scary. cut all my shifts or whatever you know like they do that all the time where i go from working four days a week to working one day a week you know or whatever and that's like that's a really scary. terrifying feeling um and it's times like that when i go god i wish i worked somewhere else you know or whatever more I wish secure, I more stable or regular or I wish I would have, you know, been able to go back to one of my older jobs. Because if I would have known that so many things would have happened after I took this job. But then again, when I took this job, it also saved my life. Um, I went to get LASIK surgery and I found out that my retinas were detaching. So they saved oh, my shit. vision. Yeah, like my, I, I was losing my eyes. Wow. And I had no idea. And uh, they were like, it's an old boxing injury. And they were like, they were like, yeah, you're uh, those little black spots that you see every, all the time. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it looks like I'm looking through dice is like how the world looks to me. And um, the, like through clear dice. And uh, they were like, yeah, those black spots aren't supposed to be there. And I was like, I thought people all saw floaty things or whatever. And they're huh. like, yes, people see little like clear worms and stuff. But, I get like, worms. Yeah, I think it's from looking at the sun. I think That's it's what like somebody scratches told me. or something. So, yeah. yeah, it's damaging your retina, scarring on your retina. But, but from the, whatever. Black, the black yeah. spots are holes 
and I guess liquid goes into those holes and puts pressure on it the optic pushing nerve it and away. Then pushes it off. Yeah. And they're like, people come in here all the time. They just woke up blind. And they were like, you're going to wake up blind if we don't fix this. And they're like, Damn. and I was like, that's insane. And the way that they fix it is um, they don't give you any pain medicine. They just give you like numbing drops. Yeah. And then they, they hold your eyeball and uh, they use like a Q-tip to kind of like hold it in place. They make you look like in a certain direction, like up into the left or whatever. And then they shine this green laser into your yeah. eyeball and it lights up. Like it looks like mm -hmm. lightning, like green lightning. Yeah, I got LASIK. No, this isn't LASIK. This is, uh, this but is. LASIK is like that. LASIK they hold your eye open and they did a little green laser light. LASIK was much easier for me. LASIK was, they put a little plastic thing on my eye. They told me to stare at a light right. and then they just put drops in. And then it was just like, like it, it just felt like, it felt like, like I was blinking or something. Like my eye just kind of felt like it kind of opened and closed a few times and then it was done. This thing is like, you can feel it and hear it searing. It's like, like in your eye and it makes you go blind. So like while, while it happens, you go blind and then your vision comes back slowly. So they only do one eye at a time. And, um, like, uh, I remember like the first thing I would start seeing was like purple spots and then green spots. And then like slowly, like the world would They're start to together. dissolve yeah, and come back together. And then you would, you felt like you got punched in the eye. It like, hurts really bad. And then you go home a few days later, you come back and they do the other eye or whatever. And I get that done every like six months or so I got to go get checked. Wow. Um, but yeah, like, uh, but if I never got the job at the Ivy, would have never, never would have, uh, should I just try not to mention it? Um, I, I would have never, uh, would have never found out that my eyes were going, you know, or wow, whatever. Wow, yeah, no, it's crazy. Saved my life in a lot of ways. Also got me health insurance, which, you know, I was having a cancer scare at the time. Like the doctor said it looked like I had cancer, but I didn't have any money. So I was at the free clinic trying to treat my cancer. And Jesus. when you yeah. go to, when you go to the, when you go to the free clinic, it's like on an as needed basis, you know? So it's like you come in bleeding from like a lawnmower injury, you go past the guy who's waiting for his chemo, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So like, it's like, so, yeah, yeah, so, so I'm, triage all day. Exactly. So I sit there like for, I sat there for three days, I remember. And then, um, and I never saw a doctor and, uh, and I just sit there and sit there and sit there. And then finally I was like, fuck it. I'll just die. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I'd just rather die than spend my life in this waiting room. Um, and then, yeah, then I got, I, because of the job, I got health insurance and saved my, but so who knows? Like I say, yeah, follow, no, right. the, the universe leads you in certain directions. No, I'm very like excited. It's just been the first time in my life that I've had to make this decision yeah. where it's like uh, a difference in money that would allow me to like finally breathe financially because like right now it might look like we're doing good but we're like barely yeah you know what i mean we're paying sure. shit late we're fucking sure. here and there we got yeah like i've been there worry yeah and it's like this is by far the best i've lived in years yeah fucking years and this is good this is because really of the good, job yeah. that i have yeah so i'm very appreciative and grateful yeah. i've never lived this good yeah me too so for me to leave that job to take yeah. a risk of taking a job that pays a tiny bit better yeah but is risky oh i thought and, it was gonna be a lot better well it's like i'll make 20 grand more a year than i make right now that's, that's pretty significant big, that's pretty big that's significant when you're used to being fucking yeah. broke yeah right? i was making i went from making like 15 20 grand a year to making like 60 right. and it changed my whole life like Just i'm like that dude i was making yeah. in indiana i was making 32 yeah. then 40 yeah. and that Boom! But in Indiana, life. though, like right, that's, that's forty a lot of money. Is like, yeah, that's, that's like that's like eighty middle here. class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like eighty here. Yeah, it is. It's like double. When I my best year I've ever had here between acting, comedy, and and waiting tables, I made like eighty eight or something like that, close to a hundred, and um. And even then, like it, it felt like nothing. Right. Like I, I, I didn't feel poor, but I didn't yeah. feel like I could do anything. Right. Like, like I know. think if you're making, and this is, I feel so shitty because I have a bunch of friends that don't make no money. Yeah. So like, I think if you make like a hundred thousand, you're like okay. Yeah. You'll you you're can okay. live comfortably. Yeah, you, you can you go can out breathe. to eat. Yeah. 
you can you, you can, you can sleep at night. Yeah. You know that everything's gonna be fine. If that someone you can, smashes your car window, it's yeah. not gonna it's, it's not gonna, gonna be gonna the end of your life. Your life. Yeah. Which I've lived my whole life where I'm uh, an emergency away from complete ruin. Oh, I yeah. I remember when I was super poor, I lost something like I I can't remember if I left it in the ATM or so. I left like twenty dollars. I lost twenty dollars, and it was devastating. 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 Yeah. Like it was like like I just thought I thought about like all of the days that I ate one meal, you know, mm. like I, I ate a lot of Costco hot dogs and a lot yeah. of, and I'm just like, do you know how many meals I could have bought for, you 20 know, bucks. Like, how many Costco hot dogs I could have bought for 20 bucks. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I just want to like, you know, so 20 grand extra. Okay. But it's like this right now. I don't work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Is that worth mm. 20 grand a year to not have every weekend off? Every weekend yeah. is worth money. Like, it's just is. It yeah. just feels good. I feel like you know, as yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, from my perspective, I would take I would take any job right now that paid over over the. It's like the magic beans and the Jack and the Beanstalk thing. You know, you're gonna go trade that cow in. I would rather. I mean, if you you could plant those beans and hope that they sprout in comedy or whatever. But you know, if you trade the cow in for cash you know for sure that yeah, you're gonna get bird in the hand is worth more than two in the that's bush that's the word that i'm trying that's the phrase i'm thinking of yeah it's 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 definitely af after living my whole life scratching lottery tickets essentially you know mm -hmm. like you hoping. know yeah, hoping that i get wonka's lucky ticket you know or whatever that i get the right audition that i'm the right look at the right time in like front we of the talked right about person. earlier mm -hmm. yeah that was another thing too is i kept telling myself if the right person sees me I'll, that's I'll, how i've been living my life when I was in Salt Lake, I, I, you know, people would come and see me and they'd be like, you should come move to LA. Like, like movie stars and shit, like the Baldwins and stuff came to one of my shows and they were like, you should come to LA. You'd be a star, blah, blah, blah. And I came out here and then it's like, and I'm like. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, 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 you can't just keep hoping for that. Cause like John Stewart saw me and laughed, but didn't turn into anything, you know, fucking Chappelle saw me and laughed and turned into anything. So I'm at the point now where it's like, if someone offered me a job, like if someone was like, you want to do real estate? I'd be like. Fuck yeah. 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 What do I, what do I well, got to do? Well, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Like I came back to LA knowing with a hundred percent like certainty that I am not like the first time I came out here to be a comedian. Yeah. Second time I'm coming out here because I like Southern California. Yeah. I do and love I just, it out here. I like Southern California. And if yeah. I have a decent job and I can live decently and my wife wants to be here, yeah. this is better than Indiana. Yeah. So that's why I'm here now. I'm 100%. here as a teacher, but uh, you know, comedy, once again, I came back here with no expectations this time. Yeah. None. I didn't expect anything from you Rose Battle. You should live and, your life that way in general, though, with no expectations. And then I did, uh, you know, but then I got booked at a show and I did well. So they booked me again, offering yeah. me money. And then I did another show. Here right? in LA? Here in LA. I've never been, I've been paid once by the improv, 30 bucks to perform in LA. It's the only pay, I think the most I've ever been paid in LA. Yeah, man, I got, I'm really happy. It's a comedy show, Boyle Heights Comedy Nights, you know what I mean? Take it, dude. And, like, it's man, and it's like not even a lot of money, but it's like something. If it was a hundred bucks, I would be i would do that show every week sure i yeah. mean are you kidding oh, me no it's not a hundred dollars no if no. It, i mean life i've never been paid roast battle has like the live show has never paid me i think moses gave me a hundred dollars once to do a show at like at like uh, some museum or something uh, like that oh the but, the lack no was it, was, it, like? it wasn't lacma it was so it was some museum in like westwood or something i think it i might went they did like roast battle there right? roast battle yeah. yeah like it like some kind of museum la yeah, or I went once. yeah uh, he I gave me one like, of those times when i was flying in from indiana to roast like i think i roasted pat parker or omid he gave me like 40 bucks or 50 bucks yeah. or something like that that's yeah that's that, that's the most i've ever made from that other mm. than the tv show and the first year they did the tv show they didn't pay me they gave me uh, they put me in the first in the second season were you on the poster um on the the, the one that was on I don't know. Oh, the billboard? No, I don't think so. I wasn't there for, I didn't go to there for that because they did that the night 
after um, Roast Battle the Tuesday that I said that I knew I wasn't going to be in the taping. So I went mm. home bummed. Everyone went to go take that picture and I was like, fuck off, dude. No, but were you on the billboard? No, no. but I was on the commercials. So oh, okay. I, I shot the commercials with Jeff. It was me and Lindsay Jennings face to face. Yeah, then, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, that that spot they gave me nothing for. And then I think they gave me like 90 bucks or something. And then, um, but like, like I did an Amazon commercial that paid like, something like five grand or something like that. And I was cut from that. I was cut out of the commercial. Huh. So to think that this was airing like every 15 minutes on Comedy Central and I got paid nothing for it. Then when the TV show came around, they gave me that three hours notice and I did that taping. Bless you. Um, and I did that that taping. I was in two episodes. The first one aired and I everyone had been paid and I hadn't been. So I kept following up and I was being told, who told you you're getting paid? And I'm like, Moses, everybody, I was on TV. I'm in the credits. Like I should be getting paid. And they were like, you were an extra. You're not getting paid. And I'm like, I had a microphone and a camera in my face. Like I'm in the it's credits. Not extra, yeah. That's not, you don't put extras fucking names in the credits next to the producers and the wave or whatever. Like right, that right. doesn't make sense to me. And um, they fought me on it. And I said, fine, I'm just going to call the union and I'm going to file a grievance or whatever because I'm, a, I'm fair, a union yeah. actor. You paid everybody. Here's the thing. Is they paid all the comics that performed in the show 1500 bucks. Those people did one battle and left. I sat for the whole, the whole show, show beginning to end. I was there as long as the fucking judges. And on top of that, I outshone the judges. And then on top of that, they say that I wasn't in it. So I say, okay, fine. Um, I'm filing a grievance. They send me 1500 bucks and then they cut me out of the next episode. Damn. Right? And I was like, what? So I thought for sure that was the end of my relationship with Roast Battle. But then, yeah, the next year, they luckily they hired me again. What about when you go there on the Tuesdays and you just like- Never show been paid up, a dollar. But you show up on your own, right? You don't yeah. have to go. Uh, technically, no. I mean, nobody can make me go. I'm not obligated. I'm not like- you're not obligated. No. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, even if you're competing, people don't show up. People, there's, sure. there's battlers that don't show up all the time. Yeah, like, no. They I'll, always like send out a last minute ditch, like emergency I'll, message. Who's I'll, willing to battle? I'll be like, I'll, I'll write for a show. So I used to do it all improv. And then uh, Keith gave me shit because he, he used to write when he would do the haters table. And he, he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, you write? And I was like, I just do it all improv. And he's like, yeah, I write because I care about my, I care about this job and I want to do it right or something like that. He's like, it's an opportunity and I don't want to waste it. And he, got, he made me feel kind of like shitty for not writing, yeah, you know? He's like, about it. Yeah, he was, mm. he was like, yeah, because I take this seriously. Because uh, you know, I'm a comedy writer. Yeah, that exactly. Sort of thing. So I was like, okay, I'll write. So I started writing and then everyone started giving me shit for writing. They're like, oh, he writes that stuff. It's not off the cuff. And I'm like, fuck yeah, off, yeah. dude. It was off the cuff. And I started writing. I, I don't know if I could tell when you've written it or when it's off the cuff, but sometimes I think what I think you've written, I'm like, yeah. man, that's fucking good. Like, that's mm. really good. And I'm telling you, I know we got to wrap up soon but mm -hmm. you've saved this show a lot and i'll tell you my wife is a fan because she sees it she mm -hmm. sees what i see like there's so many times where if it wasn't for the saudi prince there the audience wouldn't be into it yeah because the wave isn't really there anymore yeah and the haters table is not there yeah, and the, the judges, the judges don't give a shit yeah. yeah anymore and yeah. it's and it's not the same. The energy isn't the same how it used to be. Nobody, yeah. like, even for boom shakalaka in the end and well, in the beginning, and nobody's clapping for Proud Mary anymore. Yeah. Like, what happened? Like, people it, don't get that, like, shows have a lifespan, life yeah. expectancy. People get bored of stuff. Like, yeah. things that were big when I started out aren't really big anymore. Like, right. Dane Cook was the biggest comic yeah. when I started out. Mm -hmm. That style of comedy became a whole genre, you know, mm -hmm. like a Dane Cook, like frat boy style yep. became like a genre of comedy. And then like Stan Hope created like a genre of comedy and like improv was big for a while. Mm -hmm. you know? And then people like shows. Everything just fizzles out. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a show last this long and still be this successful. I'm surprised it is. 
I'm also surprised they still do it 11:30 on a Tuesday. Like yeah. you take a show that th- that was that successful, you put, you it, put on it on a Friday, Friday night, at like mm, eight, a prime you know? time. Yeah, because nobody uh, nobody wants to come out to. Tuesday I'm sure the comedy like, store looked at it like, well, we were not making money on Tuesday before, yeah. now we are. Let's not change that. It's exactly what Moe's did with my show with on Sundays. It went from being a show they were going to close to now it's like the busiest night of the week. You know, so it's like, why would we change anything? Why would mm. we put our Fridays and Saturdays are already good? So they're already we, good. Yeah, yeah they're, gonna... they're doing just fine. It's yeah. the Joe Rogan era. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, my, my, um, my theory is, uh, is follow your heart, man. I think things happen for a reason and just don't close any doors behind you. I really want to like take that internal monologue and just really trust it, that it's going to push me in the right direction. And I, as, and I, I was talking to my wife earlier, like we, we as minorities have to really take advantage of situations and not feel guilty. Yeah. Like not feel guilty that I'm walking away from somebody that helped me not feel guilty that I'm looking out for my best interest. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm never going to make leaps and bounds. I'm going to crawl. Yeah. To victory, which I'm tired of doing. I've I've been that right. way my whole life. I've always and, thought like we could get there together. Like right. there's no reason why I have to pass you. Like let's help each other. But it, it as I get older, it's like man, I, like my wife, she's like you're almost forty. Like well, I'm 36, but you're almost 40. I'm like God damn it, you're that's right. That's how I you think. Know what I, mean? I, I keep you're telling right. myself I'm almost 40. I'm almost 40. Like, yeah, it's, it's around the corner. It's closer it than 30. <laughs> and I've paid off none of my student loans. Yeah. I've fucking saved no money. Yeah. I have the same credit card debt that I had in college. Me too. Like, it's like that. And yeah. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a time where I, I know that I have to make a decision. And right now, comedy, like, again, it keeps drawing me back in. I'll have a good yeah. show. Somebody books me again. But, you know, you're offering me but, X amount of dollars and my job's paying me way more than that. Yeah. And I don't have to have that crushing feeling yeah. that comedy could give me. Every, every decision I've ever made mm-hmm. in my life that was made out of fear mm-hmm. didn't work out you know yeah, like yeah. every time i every time i didn't do something or did something because i was afraid or because the other options seemed worse safer. rather or safer yeah exactly mm-hmm. rather than rather than just doing what i wanted to do every time i have chased what i wanted like every time i was just kind of fearless and just like pointed my Reason head forward and it. kept my head up and just went uh, it worked out. Yeah, know? me too. It's, it's but I kind, kind of, of feel like how many times can you keep taking that risk? Like now that I'm married, it's harder to time, take that risk. Because yeah. before, like I went to Korea, I went yeah. to Thailand, I moved to LA, I moved to Chicago. I I, I yeah. drove back to Indiana on a whim because nobody yeah. came to my show. Yeah. And I've been very successful with that. But at yeah. what point is it irresponsible? You know well, I mean? also think about this. Like the world kind of bends itself over to people who uh, don't give a shit about it, you mm-hmm. know, and the people who care too much end up caring too much and, and being miserable. Fortune favors the bold. Exactly. Say. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly. And, and I really want to. And the guy that wants to hire me, this uh, this veterinarian, he seems like the type of dude that's gonna do big things. Yeah. His and his big picture plan is like actually changing veterinary medicine and helping animals. And I'm like, man, it sounds so good. Yeah. But the job I have right now is just like I'm it's good at it. Yeah. I'm good at it. They pay me okay. I have a great schedule. Why, why don't I've you already... just like stay on call with them? Just be like, hey, I'm available if you need me call. And if I'm available, I'll say yes. That way you keep the door open. I mean, I hope. Like I got to go talk to them. Yeah. I got to go talk to them and be like, Let them hey, know what's going on. This is what my options are. Where do you guys fit in? What is my future here? Give me some exact numbers. Like I, I can't at this point in my life, take your word for it. Yeah. Like you need no, to like, you need it on paper. 100%. I need you to write down yeah. what you want from me in the next three to five years. Cause this guy is doing that. Yeah. He's making a plan. He's making me offers. And I've never had to do this before. But now that I'm here, like I could be honest and tell you guys that I feel like I could do more than you guys are offering me. Yeah. Like what I'm doing right now, the job, cushy, great, easy, comfortable, great schedule. But a lot of times I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is not the best use of my abilities. Yeah. It's a great use of my abilities, but it's not the best. I could do more. I could do more. I could do more. 
and I need to be closer to the top. Yeah. So right now I'm just like, I'm like 10th from the top. Yeah. If I start working for this other dude, I'd be like number two. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. And so it'd be like, fuck, it's so hard. I would do it, man. Honestly, like in my life, every chance, every time I just boldly went, it worked. You know, well, you might be, you might be the, uh, the fork divider right now. You might be the fork breaker. If, you know uh, I mean? if it doesn't work, you can blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll tell everybody. Uh, well, we got to do a we, part two then. We'll see what happens. I think, uh, right. I think that we'll meet up I, in a year. We'll see where you're at. I think if that I might, me, I'm leaning towards the risk, right? Because yeah. that's how I've lived my life. But the weekends off, like my wife is telling me, she's like, you're just spoiled because you've yeah. had weekends off for the last seven months. Why don't you make a deal with them? I got to have two weekends off a month or I got to have a weekend yeah, off Yeah, I've already been like trying to rotate yeah. weekends, rotate yeah. weekends. But I already know like once Tell you're number two, yeah. that means if someone else quits, you got to work every week. Yeah, you got to cover for them. Yeah, and that's yeah. what that, and I've been in that position and I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like that you rely on me, but I don't get paid more. 20 grand a month though, man. It's that a would, lot of I mean, money. Think That's of, a lot of cheese. Think about this. If you continued your lifestyle just as it is, you didn't change anything. You could pay off your student loans, your debt within maybe five, 10 years. A couple years. Yeah, yeah, a couple years. You know, I don't yeah. know how much. Four or five have, years. I have yeah. 60 grand in debt. And if I could make an extra, I, I built all that debt the year after I made like 88 grand or whatever, I, I continued to live as if I was making that money for the next couple of years. And, uh, and I, I, I built up all this credit card debt and um it's, i'm 60 grand in the hole now and i'm i had a great credit score that's ruined yeah. and everything Dude, i had uh just student loan debt 80 grand debt yeah. but then when i was in like really having a hard time here in la and i was living in my car yeah. and i just like couldn't make ends meet i took out a bunch of emergency loans yeah that's what i did too i took and out loans from like my credit union i took out loans from family and friends I, Dude, me too and i was uh, living off of that for a while because i yeah. thought oh I'll, I'll bounce back yeah i'm gonna get paid i'm gonna now. make money any yeah. day now I'm gonna americans the are the thing. only we're the only population on earth that sees our poverty as a temporary situation yep. every other country on earth you talk to Look, people uh, and you i'm go, poor i'm poor that's that's just it that's um, me that's i'm my like life. just i'm poor right now yeah we're all just one lottery ticket away, one one one. Dude, we are one. the fucking big dreamers right mm -hmm. here. It's so ridiculous. It's so stupid, but it feels good. It know? does feel good. It does. It it does feel like you're living your life to the fullest. Meaning, we left the jungles, we left the you know the plains or whatever, and we've made these comfortable cities for ourselves, so that we all of our creature comforts are met. So now we can stop being animals and focus on the things that make us happy you can yeah. you can do mushrooms and expand your mind enlighten yeah seek enlightenment do yoga do whatever that's what you should do yeah you have mm. you have time mm. we, we have the time I'm not foraging and, and i'm not fighting in a war exactly my neighbor's not going to come steal my vegetables i don't have rape to spend my wife. all day yeah, exactly yeah. i mean i might but no yeah, um yeah but you, you don't have to spend all day you know mm. like just trying to find food and a place to shit without someone killing you you know mm. so it's like you i would say like you well, know, you were saying that this as far as that's gone, you've yeah. met some goals here in LA as yeah. far as like internally. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met the spiritual goals that I wanted to meet. Like, I feel like, I feel like I've lived that kind of a life. I've, I've lived a really rich, fulfilling yeah, life. Yeah, you've been around. I lived as you've if- You've seen it. Yeah, you've I, felt it. I didn't think I would make it past 30. Like, I genuinely didn't think I would live to 30. So I, I, I tried to do it all. And then I think that's what made it so hard to turn 30 because I was like, fuck, I didn't really plan for I this. I didn't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't I think never, it'd make it A lot far. of things. I never thought that I'd come back to the States, yeah. number one. Once I left LA, I thought I'd never come back. Um, once I was, I never, you know, growing up in Indiana, I didn't even know the world was big. Yeah. I thought I was going to- It's weird when you go back. I didn't realize how weird the world was and or, or how weird Salt Lake was until I left. Mm. And then I, now I go back and I'm like, God, this is a weird fucking place, man. Um, everywhere is though. Like it when is. you when you- you can live in Seattle or, I mean, unless you live in New York or LA or something like, yeah. or Chicago, everywhere seems kind of 
weird after you yeah. live in one of those places. It you is. Go back it to is. small towns. I don't. Yeah, and I don't. And I don't like it. I yeah. mean, I don't like the. Um, Part of me misses it. I miss this. I miss the quiet. Um, I just mean like the 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 spiritual quiet. Like mm. everywhere I go, there's some kind of stimuli. There's mm. lights. There's posters, billboards, music, cars. Some, somebody's trying to sell you on something. There's, there's some stimulus. There's yeah. just something. Like I remember when I first moved here, I was having panic attacks driving because I'm like, there's so many pedestrians. There's so many cars. There's so many billboards. There's a homeless guy. There's a dog. Yeah. There's a paper bag. I'm gonna there's hit a someone. Yeah, I'm guy gonna... swerving and it's, yeah. there's noise and it's, yeah. yeah. And then and then on top of it, you've got all these little shops and all these like like classic you know, stores and restaurants and you're like, Oh, I've heard of that place. And mm. you're like looking at like names and you're like, Oh, that's where the comedy store is or whatever. Mm. And, and then I go back home and it's just wide open freeways. It'd be like seven o'clock in the afternoon, you know, like middle of rush hour. And you go in the, you go in the speed limit. Everyone's bitching because to them it's traffic, but, them you know, traffic but, but you're going the speed limit. Yeah. There's yeah. no billboards. You got wide open skies. You can see. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can see for, for days and it's just quiet. It's just, mm. you can just stand outside and just like listen to the wind or whatever. Like, I don't. Um, I don't hate that part. I hate the cold. I do hate, I hate the cold. that there's no options. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing because there's. But even when you want something, the there's still nothing. Why, when I was deciding on moving, I thought about Chicago because of Second City, mm-hmm. and then I thought about New York because of UCB. I eventually ended up going to the Groundlings because it was November, and I looked at the weather for the different places, and I was like, "Fuck, Fuck that! Yeah, <laughs> no more scraping windshields for this guy." You know, I'm yeah, going dude, I'm over line. it. Like I went back for that two and a half years, and I hated every cold day. Every yeah. cold day is like torture and suffering to me when i thought about moving that was the one thing i'm like just gotta i'm australia or hawaii or somewhere warm i'm like i'm not going anywhere cold anymore i either i'm over it i I promise you i won't i promise unless i have no choice like i don't know what the fuck's gonna have in my future i I hate to make predictions these days but i don't want to ever be anywhere cold yeah you know what's so funny is uh, i was i wanted to be a pro snowboarder when i was a kid like i was like i was a really good snowboarder yeah and yeah i broke my neck and my back one year which was kind of the deciding factor yeah I i was uh fucking around trying some crazy shit and again Again, every time I went in with doubt, I'd, I'd, I'd eat shit. Anytime I went in, like, you know. Extreme confidence. Yeah, confident. I remember, man, whenever I was trying to impress a girl or something like that, I would land every trick. I would do shit that I was afraid to pull, like, on a, you know, just do, like, a little kicker and a powder run or whatever. Just, you know, go in, like, a little little glade or whatever and just build a kicker or rail or whatever and just do stuff and then i would like have a girl in front of me and i would try shit that i would never try and I'd do it like on a big tabletop in a park and just like fucking huck like some <laughs> rodeo flip or whatever and i would land it and i would be like i would have never tried that if uh-huh. that hot chick wasn't watching you know what i mean but um but it was also but then like whenever you go i'm not gonna make this you're like i i this is this and is freeze I'm scared, up shitless you you fuck it up. You, it's, Do you remember when you hurt yourself? Every time. it's te- it, That's a lesson that's taught to you with a bamboo cane, like a kung fu master over and over again. Anytime you do any kind of like athletic boxing did that to me, like anytime you hesitate or doubt or, or I mean, confidence and, and, and just like, like sure, sure footedness. Like you just learned anything forward. from Conor McGregor. Exactly. Yes. It's just about. Sheer belief and like sheer, like unadulterated like unedited like not just extremely you literally can do anything you mm. want to do if you want it bad enough and you don't like i learned that yourself i learned that from uh, high school wrestling exactly like, high school wrestling like if you really want to win you're gonna fucking find tough, a way man. yeah you're gonna find a way like it, that's yeah. who wins the guy who wants it more yeah exactly the guy who wants not, it more 100 yeah. I, I would say of the fights like we I, I wrestled not like 
not like you know we didn't wear just me and my buddies would get drunk and wrestle or whatever it's every time we boxed wrestled whatever it was whoever wanted it more yeah every time it's not the bigger guys not the little guy i watched little guys beat the shit out of oh, big yeah, guys that's my favorite thing in the world right because growing up as a wrestler i yeah. saw it all the time big guys little guys beating up big guys yeah 100 percent and I loved um, it because I didn't know yeah. until I saw it. And then I'm like, oh, and then I wasn't afraid of big guys anymore. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then that's the thing is if you were afraid, though, you would lose. You know, like yeah, if you went sure. in thinking you were going to lose, you would lose. Yeah, I remember but when you boxing. go in there, the giant slayer, you're like ready. Mm. I remember I, I used to train with this guy and he was just ripped and he got he got a lot bigger than me. And we used to spar together, but he started getting really big. And like his re he was already taller than me. So his reach was really good. And he would light me up. And I got to the point where I was scared to spar with him because like every time like it would end up with you know like you know getting ringing in the ears a little bit yeah. yeah yeah exactly and um and so but like like the the guys at the gym would you know watch us you know spar and whatever and this guy Josh I remember he was talking shit this whole time and he's about the same size as the other guy but he talks shit so much that I was like put on the gloves you wanted I'm to with fuck you. him up yeah. and I wasn't afraid of him and he's like how come you didn't fight him fight me the way you fought him and i'm like because i don't like you yeah Yeah. Yeah. i'm not scared of you you fucking prick yeah so like it a lot of it's like that fear that you know like it really does i know it's like that stand up too when you go up there ready to rock and you know your shit you're confident you're gonna rock but if you go up there and you're like oh i don't know if this is gonna work every one of those tv tapings if they would have happened 10 years ago or something you know where i wasn't i didn't know i was funny and you gave me three hours notice to do a show i would have eaten shit you know i would have never i would it was the confidence of being like i know i'm good i know yeah, I can i'll be do all right this. i yeah i can do a show with three hours notice i can be on television this is I've what been i've been ready TV this is what i've been prepping for exactly yeah. yeah this is the moment that i remember when Chappelle came i remember thinking to myself don't fuck up because this is the moment you've wanted your whole life, you know? And then as soon as I got like a huge laugh out of him, I was like, just don't say anything else. Like, yeah. Just, just quit while you're ahead. Yeah, sit yeah. there, sit on it. Just gonna, yeah, just gonna leave, leave while I'm ahead. I'm not gonna say something stupid and leave, yeah. Um, but I guess yeah. I had some big opportunities. Like when I was on the undefeated run and they let me roast Pat, Barker yeah. and he was number one at the time. Yeah, if yeah. I would have beaten him, yeah. I could have a totally different life right now. It would well, you would yeah, definitely with roast battle one. With roast battle, yeah. right? I would have been more significant, right? Yeah. As opposed to insignificant, which is just different. Significant yeah. doesn't mean you're better; it just means they think of you. Yeah, you, when they're doing shit. Yeah, as soon as it's, you lose, but, they're, they're, does, they stop. Because what? I don't even think I don't know I don't know who does what. Yeah, but I know that not everybody that I think deserves it yeah. gets it. it. Also, history chooses who. To, you know who's gonna be in that place that mm-hmm. has to make like like hitler was put everything comes back to hitler but every, hitler was put <laughs> in that in that bar in in berlin or wherever it was or munich wherever it was that he he met because because hitler was just like a, he was like a public speaker he was just he was, he was just, just soapboxer yeah he stood up on like a fucking table and just like was like ranting passionately mm-hmm. it was this guy who was like the mastermind behind the nazi party who picked him up and was like let me you know, get you a bigger yeah. stage who who how did how did Hitler know to be there? You know what I mean? Mm, like how did how did history decide to put Churchill and Roosevelt there? You know, like how did history decide to put Jesse Owens in those Olympics? How did how, like who decided to to start the Me Too yeah, movement I believe in, or whatever? Like you, you said, know? like it's all it is like a like a game, like a play, yeah. right? It's like a play. It's like like me and my wife getting back together. Like, what are the chances that? We had a, like, the reason why we got back together is because we had a dog when we were together. We broke yeah. up. Then the dog got, like got cancer. Uh, and then she was putting the dog down, so she calls me. We're not leaving on this note, dude. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can. Uh, euthanasia comes up on this podcast all the time. Oh, if I have so one sad. question oh. for uh, guests, like, if we have nothing to talk about, the question that comes up is, uh, is it okay to eat animals, and how do you feel about euthanasia? That's usually, like, yeah. 
what gets brought up in 90% of my as, podcasts. As someone who is, who has, I have a, I have a very deep, I feel like euthanasia should be allowed on people. Me well. too. Like, I think, Glad you said it. I think quality of life is something that we don't, that we don't value. As we don't have a definition quantity. of it like we do yeah. for animals. For animals is, is today a good day or a bad day. Yeah. If they have more bad days than good days, yeah. then it's time to put them down. Yeah. 100%. Humans will let them suffer forever and ever and ever. Yeah. When I had, when I thought I had cancer and I couldn't afford insurance, I remember talking to my buddy, Mike, uh, he was one of my oldest friends and I, I sat down with him and I was like, Hey man, um, sorry to do this to you, but I'm, I'm meeting up with you to say goodbye. And I was like, I'm going to, I've been gun shopping. Like I'm going to go home and blow my brains out <laughs> he was like why oh, shit. and i was like i the pain is getting worse every day i don't know what's going on the doctors think it's cancer but i can't get treated i don't can't get insurance quality of life was so bad for me at that point i used a computer chair like you know those little like leather chairs that like you sit on and it's got like the wheels on it uh, i used that as a wheelchair to get around my apartment because i couldn't walk anymore wow. and uh, i was in a lot of pain i was in a lot a lot of pain and i was smoking a lot of pot and all I was doing was consuming. Like I'm just, I'm, Sucking I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working just long enough to not lose my job, and and then I'm coming home. I'm grabbing some kind of soup or something from from Whole Foods or ginger or whatever I can tolerate, and I go home. I smoke as much pot as I can, and then I eat it, and then I go to sleep, and then I wake up in the middle of the night in pain, and I smoke again. I go back to sleep, and then I start all over again. And as, yeah. yeah, as someone who lived like this crazy life, you know, where I did everything I ever wanted to do and overcame all of these fears and all of these like obstacles, obstacles yeah. and everything, you know, to be like, this is, this is how I'm going to spend the next five years, 10 years. This is how I'm going to go out. Like, let me go out with some dignity, man. You know, like my I, terms. Yeah. And also, it's I have like, no problem with that, man. I have if no we have dogs, if dogs and cats deserve a peaceful yeah. exit and I don't like, yeah. that's ridiculous. 100%. Like, no one's going to stop me. First of all, we yeah. can all euthanize ourselves. This yeah. Not, news yeah you don't need dr kevorkian it's 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 heartbreaking i mean it's mm. it's sad to lose a pet but it's my grandmother was in really bad shape before she died and i think i was the only person that felt a sigh of relief when she died because she was in she her dementia had gotten so bad yeah, dude, you and couldn't her, have been the only one i'm sure the dementia like affected a lot of people no everyone i mean i was sad at the funeral everyone was sad at the funeral but it was also like this feeling of i'm like is no one else relieved, relieved like, for her like she was suffering's in, over yeah she was miserable and, and her pneumonia everything had gotten so bad that it was just like every time i saw her i felt bad and my mom would be like you should go spend more time with her because you know she's not going to be around much longer and I'm like, I, I want to remember want to how, this, yeah. yeah, this is not how I want to remember. This is not how she wants to be remembered. Like, let her go quietly into the night, you know? Yeah, like, my grandma had dementia really bad. She just died like a year ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but she had dementia years. for years. And then in the end, she was like comatose for a couple of days. And yeah. in those days, I'm like, what is the point? Yeah. Like, why are we watching this? Like, and we're all crowded around here. Everybody's crying. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is, could be easier. Like, yeah. This could be easier. And the nurse is there and she's just like, well, we wait for them to be this far gone and then we give you a time frame yeah they have six hours to live ten hours yeah. to live i'm like but it, it doesn't have to be that way like if you know they're gonna die in the next couple of hours why yeah. wait why yeah why for what yeah for what so what it happens spiritual? when no one's ready yeah what when was, we're all sleeping what does that yeah. give you yeah what no. kind of advantage does that have now we just have to stand here and just like look at the clock like it's a yeah. weird thing because then what inevitably what happens is when they do pass then the sigh of relief comes yeah and then people feel guilty well so 
we killed Nolan, my my best friend that died. Oh. He, when when he was when he died, he received his heart transplant. Mm. Um, the doctor stitched it improperly, so it wasn't sealed and it leaked. It, le- it, it just continued to leak like into his chest aorta cavity. Or what? What's that? Out of aorta? Like I'm a major not sure. Vessel? I don't. I don't remember the details. This is what the family told me. But it's they still said sad either way. Yeah, they said mm. that he didn't. So. I get a letter saying, um, Nolan has taken a turn for the worse. Please pray for him. Um, and then I'm like, what's going on? And they were like, uh, he was convulsing. They had to put the breathing tube back in and, um, and we don't know what's wrong. And then, and, but his whole family was nurses, you know, because he had been sick his whole life. So they all became nurses to take care of him. And they all kept saying something's wrong. Something's wrong. He's had surgeries before he's, he's not behaving right. And then his heart eventually just stopped. And from what I understand, they said that the blood had built up in his chest cavity and put pressure on his heart, so it couldn't beat couldn't anymore. Beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, they had to open him up right there at the like right in his bed. They didn't even take him to an operating room. They just cracked his ribs open. His ribs were always broken because he had, had so many heart surgeries. Sure. But, but uh, so he couldn't wear a seatbelt across his chest and stuff. They cracked his ribs open. They fixed it. They fixed the stitching. All good. Um, they said he's can he can live a nice long life, but he's been without oxygen for something like ten minutes or twenty minutes or something like that. They're like he's virtually brain dead. Yeah, and they were like, you have, I think we had like a few hours or something to decide if we. They're like if you pull the plug now he'll die, mm-hmm. but if you don't he'll stay alive and, and then you can't kill him. Yeah, right. you'll, you'll have to take care of him for the rest of his life, and he could live to be seventy, you know, eighty years old, and um, he he had a living will. You know, he was like. You know, I don't want to live that way. And we knew he didn't want to live that way. So we had to pull the plug. And it's painful. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. painful to sit there and go, well, what if we just kept him around selfishly? You know, what if we just kept him around so we could hug him and hold him, you know, or whatever, just to have him around? Um, but that would have been selfish. That would yeah, have been that a really like the wrong decision. That wouldn't have been the right decision. That's to make. what I feel about people who keep their sick pets alive forever. I'm like, you're doing yeah. that for you. Yeah. Like the dog is the not enjoying miserable. this yeah. and you like, I can't let him go. I can't let him go. He like, doesn't wake okay. up in the morning like, happy and skip. Like, does that sound like a good reason to keep him alive? And you're mm. spending all this money and the dog's here. And I gotta like if stab you, him with needles and yeah. take his blood. Like it's a sad. My, my mom's dog by the end had like, like, um, uh, what's it called with the sugar? Um, Diabetes. diabetes. He had yeah. diabetes. He was blind. It was like he was depressed. I'm like, just, I mean, at that point, it's like, you, unless he has no memory and no soul, you know, like, why, why else are you keeping this person, like, keeping this poor mm. animal alive? Uh, um, uh, I, I, uh, there was a really, uh, do you know Bill Hicks? You're familiar yeah, with yeah, yeah. Bill Hicks Huge had fan. a really good friend. Do you know who Ron Chalk is then by chance? Or? His like guy that he, his buddy, yeah. That he started up with? Yeah. Yeah. Ron was a good From friend. From the documentary? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ron was an old friend of mine. Okay. Um, Ron was another one of the guys I booked. Um, oh, wow. When I booked, when I used to book comics, I booked comics because um, I remember when I was on my first road gig, I was, I stopped at, um, uh, the Funny Bone in Boise. It's not there anymore. But the guys that were there treated me so well. I was an open micer from Salt Lake City driving to Seattle. They gave me a hotel. Um, they 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 were like the the headliner to, the headliner this weekend got his own hotel so you guys can have his room. And I was like, really? So they gave me a hotel. Nice. They gave me they gave me spots. They gave me food. They took me out. They got me drunk. And I just remember after that, I, I had so many bad experiences that I was like, I want to be the booker that I would want to work for. So I, um, so I started booking comics and I would like, 
take them like like uh there's this guy rob parvonian really nice guy guitar comic he had a viral video back in those days um i took i was like what are you into are you into drugs you know because like sean would always have me get him coke and weed and mm. stuff like that you know or whatever i'm happy yeah i'm like whatever you're into i'm like mm. if you're into whatever drugs i'll buy you drugs i'll have them ready for you when you get here you'll have a hotel you'll have a nice place to stay i'll take you out for dinner and stuff like that um so Sean would come back just to party or whatever. And, um, and Ron, uh, and, uh, and Rob Pervonian, um, he was into baseball. I took him to a baseball game and then turned out he was George Carlin's opening act. So oh, I got wow. to meet Carlin because oh, of him. we were at a baseball game and he was like, he thought I was like sucking up to him. Cause I knew. And he was like, so he's like, so you just treat all the comics like this. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, just try to, you know, be a good, be nice, yeah. be a good guy. And he's like, I thought you were trying to like get to meet, get to Carlin. And I'm like, what do you huh. mean get to Carlin? He's like, I'm his opener. And I was like, what? And I was like, no. And I was like, I, that's amazing. But that's no, I brought you here. Cause you said you like baseball. And then uh, three months later, I met Carlin, and a couple months after that, he died. And then, yeah. Um, yeah, and then Ron, same thing. He came, stayed with me. We did four shows. He'd just gotten back into comedy because his his ex-wife had had a Terry Schiavo kind of situation where she was in a car accident. Um, they said she'd never walk again or whatever. He quit comedy. He was, he was on his rise. He had his own show on Showtime. He was the last comic on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson before he switched over to Leno. He was like, he had all this stuff going for him. Like they were making a documentary about him, everything. And then his wife was in a car accident and she wasn't wearing her seatbelt and she became, because I remember I, was, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and I, I told him, I was like, I... He's like, um, I was like, uh, I don't care if I die. He's like, there's worse things that can happen than dying. He's like, sometimes people live. Yeah. He's like, sometimes people have to take care of you, you know? Yeah. And he's like, so either wear your seatbelt or, you know, fucking, you know, don't, you know, you better die. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, he told me the whole story about how he quit everything. To he taught her how to walk again. He taught her how to talk again. They said all this stuff that she would never be able to do. Wow. And then she had another stroke and went right back to zero again. And it was devastating for him. And he just spent five years of his life taking care of this poor woman. And she finally passed away. The family wouldn't let her die. He wanted to let her die. He's like, just let her go. You know, like she's, she's not who she is. a shell of herself, all that. Yeah. So he begged them to let her go. They, they wouldn't, but she finally died on her own and he was able to move on. He remarried and started his comedy career back up again. And then he came, I was, I think one of his first shows and Dolomite too, actually, um, Rudy Ray Moore. Mm. He was another one I booked and he died before we got to, um, before he ever came to do my show. But wow. Ron, um, there's a movie about him on Netflix right now with yeah, uh, yeah, Eddie, yeah, Murphy. Yeah. Eddie Murphy. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It was so funny when I saw that. I was like, yeah, I, I remember talking to that guy. Um, anyway, yeah, Ron and I became really good friends. Every time I passed to Vegas, I would stop and see him and stuff. He became a professional poker player. So he's got a really fascinating life. Um, and then I get a call from him in 2011. Uh, I'm dying of cancer. He's yeah. I had six. He had six months to live. Some aggressive form of cancer, rare <sighs> in his dick. Um, dick cancer. Yeah, and I remember I drove out there and uh, and uh, I just. You know, I didn't know what to do, but I was like, you know, trying to be there. Yeah, I just tried to be there for him, and I, I just went to like Costco and like Whole Foods, just bought a bunch of stuff, whatever I could do to, you know, kind of make it easier on his wife, help clean up and fix some stuff around the house and whatever um, handyman stuff. And um, and then he called me, uh, I think in like January. No, it must have been must have been in spring because he died in May. He um he calls me and he says, uh, "Did you really do all that stuff, or did I dream it?" And I was like, "No, I can't." I'm like, "Yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to help you." And, um, and he was like, he was like, why did you do that? And I was like, well, um, this is like, this is one, like the most personal stories I have that, that I generally, I don't think I've ever told this in, in public before, but, um, anyway, so he calls me and he says, um, he says, uh, why would you do all that? And I was like, I don't know. Just, you're, you're my friend you're going through a hard time. I don't know if I'm just kind of helping ease your burden right now, or if I'm helping Can't make the, the right end thing. easier. I'm, I'm like, I don't know if this is the end for you or if this is just something you're going through, but if, 
I would, if I can make it easier, I would, I would, I'm like, if I could take the cancer out, I would, but I can't. Mm. So I just did whatever I could. And he started sobbing and I started crying and he's like, this is the end for me. And he's like, I'm so scared. And he goes, uh, this is when I was going to kill myself. This was around the same time. Um, and he says, uh, brother, you are the real deal. And he's like, I want you to know that. And he's like, don't you ever quit and don't you ever forget that you are the real deal. And uh, and I, for some reason, that was the only time that a compliment ever like resonated with me. Like it ever kind of stayed with me because I was like, he's just dying, man. He doesn't have to lie to me. No, he he's lived a life. He's he knows. Lived, yeah. yeah, he has he no doesn't, reason to. Doesn't need that. Yeah, he doesn't. You know, blow smoke up my ass. And he's like, he's like, just always remember, you're the real deal. And and then he died. And then um, I didn't kill myself when I obviously. And then I went to his funeral. Met Brian Regan at the funeral, by the way. And then um. And then I came back and started doing comedy again. Damn. Yeah, that was uh, that was 2011. Yeah, um, damn. Yeah, it was a while back. All over, man. Well, Dude, I feel like that's a good place to uh, stop. The real deal. The real deal. Cena. Holyfield. <laughs> oh shit, man! I know that we went through a lot, and uh, I love. Uh, talking to you, you yeah i mean, I, do, so, I, mean I, I mean i know that we could keep doing this it's been three hours <laughs> yeah. now oh, so, I mean, shit. We it's could, been that long it's been that long I'm so, so sorry. we could keep doing this sorry, but we gotta listeners. wrap it up and yeah. we can always do it again i love part twos i love repeat guests and you know this is only episode 24 of the podcast oh, so nice. we're gonna keep doing these and yeah, i'm never far yeah and uh now you know where we are we could keep yeah. doing this and we could do another one and if you got any ideas for podcasts dude i, yeah. I, I, I would i love. got um i got a voiceover booth in my apartment too if oh, you sure. one, i can just record something and send it over to we could do all kinds of stuff i mean i'm always open to ideas i really feel like stand up at as just a stand-up comedian i gotta branch out right yeah. so anything that's fun anything that's cool we could do yeah uh, but i love the podcast anything pet that's what this podcast is for so you guys out there listening uh pet podcast uh, you can find us on instagram at pet peeves podcast on twitter at pet peeves pod uh, you can find me, Albert Escobedo, at Albert Escobedo on Instagram, at Albert M. Escobedo on Twitter. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. You can find my special on YouTube. Uh, it's called Don't Judge Me. It's free to watch on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, and then, Gani, where's your social media? What's your uh, Just your under handles? my name, Cena Amundsen, S-I-N-A-A-M-E-D-S-O-N, or Cena Comedy, I think are some of them. I don't know if that's Twitter or Facebook. One of them is Cena Comedy. And uh, I also have Saudi Duty, which is the Saudi Prince. I don't really post as the Saudi Prince all that much, though. Um, but if you want to follow him, I'm sure I'll. If anything news comes up, I'll I'll post something or whatever. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we, well, I'll post it all in the description so you guys can find the spellings and all that. And you know, he come Tuesday nights. You can come meet. Oh yeah, meet watch the Saudi Periscope, Prince. Yeah. Watch on Periscope. Uh, I don't know when's the next time I'll be at a roast battle. No one's. No one seems to be biting at my challenges for for the time being. We'll see yeah. what fucking happens. This show's weird, man. Yeah, it's, it's up and down. And, and who knows but again right now uh let's let's focus on this job opportunity i have and i'll let all the listeners know and it's veterinary world again uh so if anything i'll be talking about doggy dentistry for the rest <laughs> of my life um but that's that's fine and I need my canines um, cleaned yeah dude we'll, we'll fucking do this again have some more water stick around for a little bit anything else you want to plug while you're I'm, here i'm good man just wanted to come say hi awesome and thank you for coming by i had a great time thank you guys for listening uh have a great night it is what's today's date today is uh friday january 24th 2020 at about 11, it's 11 11 p.m knock on wood you guys make a wish have a great life follow your heart love you